0: I want to go to there? Snipe! I saw it in the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who've just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, 30 hellers yes. agree. Never mind. Maybe the
1: dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually
2: would you believe it And you beautiful tropical fish don't mention the war clear eyes for hearts hello and welcome to the televerse sound on sides tv podcast this is kate Kolzik, and i'm joined as ever by simon howell simon i'm not going to ask you how it's going because i have a sense of how it must be instead i will say you are now a marathoner sir how does it feel
1: uh, i'm actually considering i ran a marathon yesterday i'm not in too much pain i'm actually in Almost the exact same amount of pain as I used to be when I worked in a slanted dish pit in Montreal. Uh, so it's really not that bad. Uh, I think tomorrow will be the real test. I'll go for a walk later. Yeah, that's key. Maybe, maybe, maybe do a little bit of um, recumbent biking. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. I'm taking her easy.
2: Yeah, that's that's a good call. I made the mistake after my first marathon of, uh, of licking my wounds and not like forcing myself to... to take a walk or really, like, stretch out and run a little bit the day after. Uh, I regretted that choice <laughs> tremendously when my legs stopped working for the next two days. So uh, it sounds like you're you're handling the recovery process more intelligently uh, than I did, at least the first time.
1: Uh, well, especially because, like, I don't think I'll be doing it again for, uh, I mean, it, it actually wasn't that bad, save for the last uh, two or three miles. But I wouldn't do it again until I was considerably, or until or unless I was considerably fitter. Uh, mm-hmm. It was it was not lost on me looking around that I did not match the marathoner body type.
2: Oh, oh, the spiders! We hate the spiders in in my family. Uh, there there are spiders and there are panthers, uh, is how we we dub it. So the, like the the two percent body fat, like long limbs, we call them spiders. Um, okay. The the, the, the triathletes. Who need to have you know more muscle on other parts of their bodies? Um, those are the panthers. They're thicker and they can do other things besides just run. Um, they have more strength uh, in different muscle groups. Obviously, anybody who is a marathoner is super impressive. And don't don't get me wrong. For, for, tell the spiders out there, don't get me wrong. We're just jealous of you. Um, but yeah, every it's something like every for every pound of, of, of weight you're down. Uh, it's like five minutes off your time or something insane. Like it's really hard on your body if you're not super fit.
1: Right. Uh. So yeah, I, I did notice that when I when it was over. I mean, a for the whole last two three miles, I was nauseous, which is not pleasant and easily cost me ten if not fifteen minutes off my time, which would have been like three hundred places higher. But anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um. And uh, I I noticed. I don't know if this happened to you, but at the finish line, like I couldn't really breathe into my stomach. Mm. Um. I don't know if that's common or if that just happened to me, but uh, that was very unpleasant. Oh, mind you, there were a lot of people around me because um, the, the half marathoners join the marathoners at a certain point very near the end. And Oh, um, that's just
2: not fair. <laughs> uh,
1: no, I mean, it does make it it makes it more uh, rousing because there's a lot more people around. But afterwards, you have to listen to half-marathoners complain about how tired they are, and you're like,
2: oh. Just shut up. Just go away and shut up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I, I would say, though, for anyone who's interested in running, like, I seriously think anyone who trains for three months or slightly longer should be able to do a half-marathon. It's not that hard.
2: Yeah, like, seriously, a half-marathon, if if you can do the training, if you have the time to do it, you anyone can do a half-marathon. I, I firmly believe that. Um and uh, if you if the half marathon it do, isn't daunting to you, if you're not like nope, I'm done. I think a lot of people, again, if you have the time, because it's very time consuming, the training you need to do for a marathon, uh, the, like the long runs and everything, it's very time consuming. If you have the time, and you're not daunted by half marathon, I think a lot more people are capable of doing a marathon than may realize it.
1: Yeah, I personally, I think the perfect length for a run would be like a three quarter marathon. that would be great
2: because
1: they would (laughs) would be just tiring enough it's that last quarter that's just like why is this happening to me and then i think about the the ultra marathoners i know who do like a hundred miles and i'm like i don't
2: know how that works no it just like breaks your head it just breaks your brain a little bit yeah yeah no totally totally well welcome to the club it's quite an accomplishment and uh we're all very proud of you simon excellent work and enjoy your your time off now uh, now, now, now that you're no longer preparing for a ridiculous, insane feat of uh, of endurance, um, so this week we're going to be talking with Steve Procopi, friend of the show, uh, Capone from Many Cool News, about two more TV movies, horror TV movies. Uh, this is this is Steve's horror picks six. He's a six timer at this point. Uh, we did Dark Knight of the Scarecrow and The Night Stalker. Uh, one uh, Dark Knight of the Scarecrows from 81 I want to say early 80s and Night Stalkers from the early 70s and one of them is really good or is is very fun and the other one is terrible Um, and you can listen to the segment to discover which is which
1: yeah that was uh, that was fun very very (laughs) very unlike uh, most of our recent segments that being said I think we'll have to plan some actually good stuff for the next segment
2: hey I, I thought one of them was actually good. It just not hugely scary but 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 good,
1: yeah, I think we're just gonna have to go a little bit more hardcore next time
2: we're gonna have to we're gonna have to figure something out um yeah, this week in news, we got a little bit of an update about twin Peaks. uh, do you wanna take this one simon
1: sure, uh, so now instead of doing nine episodes, they're doing eighteen episodes, and um the more surprising thing for me is that uh Angela Belamenti is is on board again. Uh, surprising because dude is really old, uh, like, super old. So, uh, wasn't, it, I, I, I sort of, sort of was under the impression he was working less, but I guess not. Uh, I'm trying to think of a recent precedent for, uh, someone directing that many episodes of a show, uh, other, I mean, uh, of a drama specifically. I mean, obviously Louis C.K. directs all the Louis, but... That, for instance, is, like, nine half hours this, or eight half hours this year. Like, th- we're talking about 18 hours of Lynch directing stuff, which basically, like, ups his filmography by 40% or something. <laughs> and also, dude is no spring chicken, so... Hey, yeah,
2: George Miller, 70 years old.
1: That's true, but still, well, that was one movie. We're talking about
2: eight, 18. 18 hours. 18!
1: 18. Yeah. That's ridiculous, so, I don't know... It's as exciting as the news is, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop somehow.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Um, we heard from Carl uh, last week, not in time for the last week's podcast, but we th- thought we'd uh, talk about it here. He emailed us and said, Kate and Simon, I have found lately that while I greatly enjoy the filet mignon of TV, the Americans, Mad Men, Better Call Saul, I have been uh, more craving TV junk food. The last ship, The Strain Flash. Do you find that to be the case in your mix Uh, your TV mix that you consume, or are you mostly at the mercy of the TV buffet? How do you manage your TV diet? Um, and I know exactly what you mean, uh, Carl. There are many, (laughs) there are many weeks there when I had on my DVR, The Flash, Shield, Supernatural, uh, when it started iZombie, certainly Jane the Virgin, um, as well as like uh, Justified, The Americans, you know the the heavier, you know Better Call Saul, when all, when all of that was airing at the same time. I'm so glad we're through that time that month. Um, and almost invariably, I would go to uh, the the CW shows first. Uh, I would knock knock through uh, Supernatural or, or uh, sorry, The Flash, and then Arrow, and then Supernatural uh, before I would you know carve out the time for for the other shows which doesn't mean that I don't love them uh but means I you know I'm more in a rush you know when I am more excited often when I sit down at my my DVR to just enjoy the easily consumable but still very well made television that you know that here you're calling uh TV junk food Carl certainly that's how I feel about those, uh, many reality shows as well um it was an intense season for a show like the Americans you had to like Prepare yourself to watch those episodes.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I personally, I don't really have a differentiation. Be- like, I don't, I don't have parts of my brain I use for different shows, or at least I try not to. Um, but do just... you
2: find yourself drawn, like, when you sit down to watch something and you've got a, a buffet of options in front of you? Do you just find yourself gravitating first, like, the first thing you want to watch is what maybe we consider the greatest or the best, or is it just something that's going to be entertaining and less challenging?
0: I really, I'm i
1: struggling to think of a show that's great but not entertaining. Like, for, like even the Americans, like, yeah, it's, it can be rough to watch, but that season to me was tremendously entertaining. Uh, same with Justified, uh, which, you know, I guess can get dark or violent or whatever but also it was just super fun to me to me generally speaking there aren't that many shows that I watch that I just sort of consider worthy that are like I, I guess have that homework quality uh, I, I I mean actually if anything has that lately it's Game of Thrones um for reasons we've already discussed but I feel like most of the of the really great shows right now are are doing their jobs to be entertainments as well as something something to think about um that being said I, I try to alternate if I have, like, four comedies to watch and three dramas, I'll sort of try and go back and forth, especially when you, you sort of get a sense of, like, I feel like this is going to be really depressing this week. R- are <laughs> you know, Penny Dreadful or Game of Thrones or sometimes Orphan Black or whatever. Uh, sometimes you need to mix it up, although even Orphan Black is doing a pretty good job of mixing it up within the same episode.
2: That's interesting, because for me, having that total whiplash would be challenging, um, so I would be more likely to watch to block the comedies and then like go into drama mode and uh and, and watch watch those. Well, and it's also a, for me it's a different kind of viewing very frequently like the the lean forward viewing shows versus the sit back viewing shows. So something like like Jane the Virgin is very light and uh refreshing to watch most of the time when they're not, you know, kidnapping babies. Um and uh, but but you have to be very actively engaged because of the subtitles because it's so fast. Um, whereas something like like Flash, you can sort of just let it wash over you or like be eating your dinner while you watch something like that. Um, so so that also can affect how I, wa- I watch stuff. And I do like to generally have a mix. Like when you when you talk about Carl talks about this, like, like a TV diet, I do like to have if I have only shows that, yes, very entertaining, very well made. But on the darker side, and this is something that, you know, at certain times was happening with with Breaking Bad when it was on. and certainly can happen with Mad Men when they were in their more um, depressing, I guess, more self-destructive Dawn seasons. Um, If I only have those kinds of really intense shows, I I find myself uh, hunting out episodes of, of much lighter fare to just kind of cleanse the palate a little bit. Like last week after Game of Thrones uh we i we immediately were like okay well what am i gonna watch next because i have a bunch of things i need to watch but i cannot watch them after that so let's watch 12 angry men inside 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 Amy schumer again um yeah so so for me i do i do wind up even if i'm not actively seeking it i wind up with a bit uh, with a rather balanced approach there i think do
1: you not do that not not consciously anyway.
2: Okay, fair enough. Well, I would love to hear from our listeners how they manage that. Um, and and this is, I think you would agree with me, Simon, as a, like a f- closing thought on this. Uh, the notion of guilty pleasures, I absolutely understand the the term and and describing something as that. Um, but I I don't think there really is such a thing as a guilty pleasure because if you enjoy it, you shouldn't feel guilty about it. Um, and we'll talk about that with you know with certain reality shows. So people who love Real Housewives, I don't enjoy Real Housewives. I that's not my jam, and I have no interest in it at all. I think it's kind of terrible um, what I have seen of it. But if you enjoy that, then don't. Why, it's stupid to feel guilty about it. So, um, this notion of the, there being lesser TV, if it's good, it's good, regardless of genre. And I, I think you would agree with that.
1: Um, I mean, I generally believe that with, with regards to every art form. I mean, there are some literal uh, exceptions. 19 kids and counting but um (laughs) that's sort of an outlier
2: yeah or or, um for me a a song like blurred lines where I'm like damn it I hate the message of the song and the lyrics but it's so catchy I can't help but appreciate how well it's made but then you just wait for somebody like Weird Al to come out and make let you enjoy the song without you know the rapey subtext um yeah so so I think we're kind of on the same page there and listeners let us know how you manage your your tv diet because uh, i'm very curious to see see what everybody else thinks but for now we've gone way too long with this opening so so let's take a break and we'll come back with a a nice uh blend of of comedies for our week in comedy so we'll be right back after this what you do to me
0: i could write a book or a ripples run around your
2: This week in comedy, I'm going to preview Goal on the Insatiable for Fox and also So You Think You Can Dance, which starts up next week, Monday. I'm so excited, but also not excited. We'll talk about it. Uh, then we're going to dive in with, uh, or at least I'll get my thoughts on The Comedians, Billy's Birthday, and we'll both dive in with Younger and with Stupid, Inside Amy Schumer, Babies and Bustiers, uh, Louis, The Road Part 1, Silicon Valley, Adult Content, and then we'll wrap things up with Veep, Mommy Meyer. So first up, Go on the Insatiable is a, an animated series that aired a first, like, six hours episode season on Fox uh from 2013 to 14 and in their animation uh domination high def so ADHD uh late night programming and i want to say it was like a 15 minute show i could be wrong on that but i believe it was a short shorter show it's been expanded into a half hour format and will be uh premiering next week on the 31st i think that's sunday night um on Fox and so i've seen the the first episode of this it's 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 like a, sort of like a reboot where because they there's new voice cast. Rob Riggle plays uh, voices Golan the Insatiable, who is a, like a demonic, war, you know, demi god or whatever from another dimension, and uh, Aubrey Plaza voices Dylan, who is a I think a second grader who who is is uh Goth and uh, doesn't fit in, and um, so she finds this this book at least implied at least it looks like it's uh the cover's skin um and starts reading things from it and summons Golan to to her uh Minnesota uh very Minnesota nice uh small town and uh, they they you know they bond and end up uh you know be becoming buddies to an extent or she becomes his acolyte yeah so the the first episode basically reestablishes the premise so it's it, it, while it is not the pilot of the show, it's like a second pilot. It's like a new pilot for the half-hour version of the show. I, I like the animation style. I I thought it was fun. Um, Albi Plaza is a lot of fun as Dylan. And I like the design of the character where she's got – This, what looks like if she was wearing mascara and it was, uh, it had started running, uh, down her cheeks. Only she's in second grade, so it doesn't really make sense. But it, it, and I like the design of that character. It's nice and sarcastic and very Aubrey Plaza, but with a slightly different timbre to the voice, uh, so that it's not distracting, at least for me. Rob Riggle is pretty much just doing the Rob Riggle thing, but, uh, I think the writing works well and the character works well for that. And I think people, you know, like, This, for me, is a much more entertaining and interesting uh, show than most of the Fox animated comedies. Obviously not Bob's Burgers, and I haven't checked it on Simpsons in forever, so I can't give an informed opinion on that. But I'm much more interested in this than, say, any of the Seth MacFarlane shows. And uh, I had fun with, with this first episode. I think people who... Are intrigued with the premise of a demonic warlord from another dimension, a demigod, uh, being basically banished to Earth in Oak, in Oak Grove, Minnesota. Uh, we'll enjoy, we'll enjoy this episode. Uh, so so check it out if that seems promising, interesting to you. I think you can basically just watch a trailer. Probably the trailer is going to give you a sense of it. But uh, I wasn't, I didn't feel compelled to watch every screener they had. But I think I can give it a. Televerse, thumbs up. Do you think you'll check this out, Simon?
1: Uh, potentially. It's going to be a really comedy-heavy summer, so uh, we'll. It, I, I may only be able to, to make room for a La Crème de la Crème.
2: We'll <laughs> see. Are you going to watch it this Sunday when it premieres? uh possibly okay we'll we'll report back on that uh, for now. I'm gonna move on quickly to so you think you can dance. I've seen the first audition episode, uh which I'm glad that that Fox made that available because I am very nervous about this new format that they're doing basically um the show gets terrible ratings, and so to they keep having to slash the budget and try to change things up to get renewed so this year they from all accounts, it seems like they barely gotten renewed and part of them getting renewed were two big changes. First of all, there is a new permanent, uh, judging panel, which no longer includes Mary Murphy, at least for this season, which just feels kind of wrong, but it's, it's Nigel and Jason Derulo is now a permanent, uh, member of the panel, which I don't get that guys. Um, but okay. Uh, and Paula Abdul is is the the final panelist and I also don't really get that but I will say that she had very good comments and uh, interesting things to say in this first the first auditions double episode that they, that they put up there um so maybe you know it, it's nice to see that she can have useful dance critique and comments um to give she just apparently doesn't choose to do that on the live show or maybe the editing helps her I don't know but um I have been utterly underwhelmed by her appearances on the show in the past, and here I thought she did a good job. So your model may vary. If you like Paula Abdul um, yeah, as a judge on these reality things, maybe you're excited about it. Mostly it feels kind of wrong for me to not have Mary Murphy there, but, you know, whatever. You do what you do, you do what you can do. They have now two teams. They have Team Stage and Team Street, and Travis Wall is going to be... Um, like, in charge of and mentoring team stage, and Twitch is going to be mentoring Team Street. They're going to end go through the auditions process, go through Vegas, and then they'll have uh, 10 members of each team, and one member of each team will be eliminated each week until there's one winner at the end. And this just feels hugely contrived to make sure that there is a lot of hip-hop presence amongst the final 10 and top 20 and top 10 um, because that's that kind of dance is more popular um, but there's there's not really a track record of the people that they're classifying as the street the team street you know the street performers or whatever making it into the top 10 there's usually just a, a couple two or three um, who make it into the top 10 so this feels very manufactured and that is I always rebel against that when I'm watching reality competition shows that are theoretically supposed to be based on merit. Um, But the auditions are always great. This first audition episode is a lot of fun. So I'm a little bit more optimistic than I was. And the increased presence of Twitch and Travis is probably a good thing. But I can't really speak on that until we get to that portion of the show. Do you think you're going to watch that you think you can dance this summer? I
1: really don't know. It's going to depend on. Uh, it's the sort of thing I'd rather just watch live when it's on. I don't really know what the schedule is like here in Canada, so we'll have to wait and see on that.
2: Yeah, it's going to be airing on Monday night, So likely, if we do uh, talk about it on the podcast, we'll be talking about it a week behind. Um, I doubt they'll keep putting up uh, until we. I doubt they'll keep putting up screeners until we get to the the live episodes. But um, but yeah, for now, I'm I I was very surprised how completely excited I got when I saw that the screener was up. I was just like, drop everything because So You Think You Can Dance is an option. So I got to watch that now, even though I have other work I should probably be doing. Um, so apparently, even this bastardized version of the show still is a place in my heart. Um, so, oh, God, I guess we're in. I, I'm in for the season, I, I, it looks like. So let me know, listeners, if anybody else out there is watching because... I don't want to be alone. I want to have other people to talk to you about this, if, especially Simon. If you don't, if you don't keep up with it, so, um, so that's the so you can dance premiering next week Monday. Uh, let's move on to the comedies. This week we have the comedians Billy's birthday, which you haven't had a chance to see yet. But I wanted to, to mention because I thought it was an excellent episode. Um, this I always feel bad when a comedy does like a dramatic episode, and I like that one a lot more than the regular show. And, uh, that's sort of what this one is. It's, it's Billy Crystal's birthday, on on the show. And he, so he's reflecting on his age and on his life. And, uh, it's a much more, uh, it's a much calmer, more reflective episode. I really think uh, the performance from Billy Crystal and Josh Gad as well, uh, very good in this episode. I really like their conversations just as, as they drive around and, uh, and obviously, I mean, they're both very talented actors and like the, the adage goes dying is easy. Comedy is hard. So I'm never really surprised when comedic actors are very talented with dramatic work. Um, but this is, I think a good example of that. And, uh, and when it comes to yeah, <sighs> the, of the episodes I've seen of the season, this is the highlight and it's not particularly close for me. I, that kind of makes me feel bad. Like, I'm not valuing comedy enough, but I think there's just the... There are just truths to aging, and, you know, the I think that this is just totally distinct in a way that's very interesting and that they execute well. Uh, do you ever have that, Simon, where you feel bad about liking a, co- a comedy's, like, single dramatic episode more?
1: Doesn't this get back to guilty pleasures?
2: I guess. It's just, I feel like I... If they can do this good of a drama, why can't they do a better comedy? Because it's different and it's a completely different skill set. and That's a stupid question. I mean, I know the answer, but
1: well, I mean, it, it's it's not so much um, you know it, it highlights the fact that the se- that the show has a problem where its attempts to be funny aren't good enough.
2: <laughs> well, and and I've it's one that I've really liked. I think it also helps that they're much more they they, they drop the the of the two not getting along. For this episode, it's much more focused on one character. Um, and I've been enjoying The Comedians, don't get me wrong, but I, if you get a chance to watch this, I'll look forward to your thoughts on it, um, Simon. But but no, I, I wanted to specifically uh, compliment the show uh, for this episode and... I hope that they can, you know, have these depths. And like, I like comedy that has layers. I, mean, I think it's easier to see those layers with, with a dramatic episode like this than with the type of comedy they've been going for on on comedians. So maybe that, maybe that's it. Who knows? Uh, but let's move on to another show we haven't talked about very frequently, um, but we still very much enjoy, and that's Younger, I'm with Stupid. Uh, this had one of my favorite lines of the season for younger when uh Sun Foster is uh, her her character is concerned that Josh is uh is dumb and you know imagines him not knowing what the plural of ice is uh this this has been again such a treat of a show for me and I I hope people are watching it I don't know how many are but they should be Yeah we we
1: thought it it, it a good idea to mention it because we we previewed it. We got screeners for the whole season back before it aired, and we just ate it, basically. We just completely binged it.
2: Consumed it in a day, yeah.
1: Yeah, because it was just such a fun watch. And then we haven't really mentioned it since then because it was, so, it was so long ago and there were so many other shows. But I really hope people are giving it a chance. Uh, it's For some reason, there's been a trend with comedies lately where the dumber the idea sounds on paper, the better the show ends up being. It happened with Jane the Virgin. It definitely happened with Younger. I'm happened hopeful... with Better Call Saul. D- definitely happened with Better Call Saul, uh, although that was a little bit different. Um, I'm hopeful that it's going to happen with uh, Jane the Virgin's time slot neighbor in the fall. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It, it's the it, it's the shows that are going big with seemingly insane ideas that are actually working. And admittedly, uh, in each of those cases, I think it's relied on the lead, uh in, in, including saul i would say and uh i mean you can't really go wrong with sutton foster
2: well it's that thing of um it they can't just be this right this premise or this setup is ridiculous. like you can't that's not a show so it, there's got to be something else right and then there has been and you could say that i mean we talked you know about seinfeld a while back and this notion of it's a show about nothing it's like well but it's not it it can't actually be that, right? And it isn't. There's more there. It's just it doesn't. They don't bother putting that into the logline because it's to be too complicated. So, uh, with with an episode like like I'm with stupid, it's dealing with very real insecurities. Um, and and how do you, if you're worried that you're a smart person who's very focused on intellectual pursuits, who's dating someone who's not interested in that, does that make them dumb? Does that make you dumb for you know the the emotional maturity of it and. Yes, it has an outlandish premise, but they're examining real relationship issues in a truthful and entertaining way, and um, that's that's why the show is good—not <laughs> the ridiculous premise that uh, sets everything in motion.
1: Yes, all all of that. Yeah.
2: Uh, well, let's let's talk talk about ridiculous premises. Let's let's go on to Inside Amy Schumer, Babies and Bustiers, and we had, uh, not thankfully not the whole episode. Uh, but a significant chunk of this episode is Amy Schumer playing a girl who has Benjamin's buttons, Benjamin Button's disease, or as they point out, it's actually reverse Benjamin Button's disease. Um, so I would say it's Jack disease then. But maybe I'm the only one who remembers that movie with Brad Williams. I know. Uh,
1: Francis Ford Coppola, man.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, so this is it's a Honey Boo Boo uh, sort of parody. And it really, really, really didn't work for me, like at all. I didn't. I don't think I laughed once. But I, I do think that Schumer does a good job. Like her, I think her performance is good. I just, I didn't laugh.
1: Yeah, it didn't really work for me either. There were some, there were some individual moments in there that kind of worked for me. But a, boy, am I tired of seeing Jennifer Coolidge play that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does so, it so well, tired. but
2: come on, guys, let's give her something new to do. Yeah,
1: I remember her showing up in Werner Herzog's Bad Lieutenant in like a s quasi-dramatic role, and I was like, damn, why can't this happen more often? Um But uh yeah, so that it didn't work for me on that level and B, uh it was just real it's it was just too easy. There's t- I mean it's it's kids talent pageant, beauty pageant stuff. It's it does not get any closer to fish in a barrel.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean when they went to commercial like back with part two. Yeah, there's yeah we're gonna. I was like, I I was a little too strongly identifying with her. Oh seriously, there's more. Uh, I which I I'm sure that they were intending like they they were trying to lampshade that. But guys, mm.
1: yeah, you didn't need more. It was like ten minutes of the show or something.
2: Yeah. Well, what about the rest of the episode? We had the uh, people who treat their dogs like people. We had the blood. Ow. Um. Yeah, another ass-centered sketch. Uh. How, what did you think of the rest of this episode?
1: uh well we had not one but two sketches that i think are one of the the show's best motifs which are w- women sitting around in a circle trying to one up each other or standing around in a circle trying to one up each other so we had the dog adoption sketch and we had the
2: bakery in maine
1: uh, the the bakery in maine etc et um it's exactly the same joke every time, but I never really get tired of
2: it. Yeah, I like how they've brought that back each season because so it was the uh, and it's sort of like the I'm sorry thing we had last week, but this felt much more like a successor to the 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 women unable to take compliments sketch. Like there've been there's been one of those each season, and this feels like the 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 next stage of that. And again, I always enjoy when they get to the last. Woman who says, "Actually, I was really unhappy. Um, so I actually did something, and it kills them all." Uh, I, I, yes, like you say, they've done this before. It's it's a recurring motif, but it works, and so I enjoyed it.
1: <laughs> yeah, the 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 Bladao thing was was all right. It, it almost got into like Tim and Eric territory of, of of all out grotesquerie, but I think it was closely tied enough with the concerns of the season that it didn't feel out of place. Um, how did we feel about the the interview this week?
2: Yeah, I liked that one. Uh, I I thought that was an interesting, because I, I, especially with the show being critical of of those types of programs and and uh, or at least seeming to be of that mindset and philosophy, I think that's an interesting person to ask. Like, because I think this is a show that would, would wonder why would anyone ever go on The Bachelor, and so they just bring someone on and ask her.
1: Uh, I've never ever watched The Bachelor, so a lot of the specific references were not really, they didn't connect to me at all. Um, I do think this, this uh, it was timely for us because it once again touches on, on Guilty Pleasure. And it's very clear that Amy Schumer is very fond of watching The Bachelor. Uh, I mean, apparently she's going to be on The Bachelorette this season, not like as a Bachelorette, but making yeah. some kind of appearance. Mm-hmm. It, it was not... I don't think it was as good as, as good as say the JLo one from last week, but uh it was not bad and certainly not uh not insulting like the worst ones are.
2: Yeah, definitely. And uh and again that's the kind of person that I'm not seeing interviewed other places, you know, so I, I liked the awareness self awareness about it and um and yeah, it was interesting. And it was the the kind of interview that seemed very well suited to that short format too yes yeah uh well let's move on to our next show uh louis the road part one i don't know how much we're gonna have to say about this and i would imagine we'll talk more once we see part two uh, i'm also guessing that this you know have the episode order extending by one episode this season is because he louis decided he wanted to make this a two-parter instead of a one-parter that's sort of what would make sense to me but who knows um I, I enjoyed this episode. It wasn't, you know, laugh out loud funny for me. But it seems like this is going to be a, like, this feels almost like a rebuilding year for Louis, where the, he did all of this experimentation last year and did really played with form and, you know, different types of storytelling, different types, like a very different approach, getting rid of the, the opening, getting rid of the stand up. Um, and so this year he's, you know, trying to just sort of recenter and go back to basics. It's been less successful for me, but I still have enjoyed, like, this doesn't feel like a groundbreaking season of Louie, but I have still enjoyed my time with it.
1: Yeah, there was, uh, there's some fun stuff in this episode, uh, there's also some worrisome stuff, like the fact that he, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, with, with the Cinnabon joke, mm-hmm. um, but there, that whole little bit with him, uh, visiting a, uh, in, in this, in this place, I believe it's called Jizzy Buns, um, <laughs> Uh, which is definitely an, inten- an intentional gag, and just feeling, just having that intense wave of self-loathing as he g- goes to get a cinnamon bun. He added the bit about the spigot of syrup, which was yeah. really funny. Yeah. Uh, but still, it's it's a very old joke of his that he is now uh, integrated into the show, and I'm pretty familiar with his stand-up, and I haven't really seen him do that before, so to see him go back to the well of older material is uh, a little bit worrisome. Uh, but I did like that he was so... Uh, so willing to make himself appear like a whiny jerk for so much of this episode. Like, oh, I don't want to talk to the driver. Oh, I don't want to be in a crappy hotel, uh, et cetera. It's like really an unsympathetic uh, portrayal of himself. Uh, but it, in, and, and like, not in the usual way where it's, you know, him being uh, in a, you know, not not adjusting well to a relationship or whatever, but in a professional context, just not not necessarily putting himself in a flattering light at all. I'll be curious to see what he does with that next week. Um but yeah, the whole interlude with him looking for the kid in the air in the airport didn't really do anything for me.
2: Oh, I enjoyed that one. Uh but but no, that's that's really interesting to me because and maybe this is because I have some limited experience with out of town gigs and traveling and you're getting put up somewhere but you don't know where it is and maybe you're staying in somebody's house. Or maybe you're staying in a crappy hotel and you don't know if you're going to even have a, a refrigerator in your room, let alone any way to act You're going to have to, like, constantly go out to eat at crappy places so you don't spend all of the money that you've earned at this gig just on the food to during the gig, you know. Uh, but I didn't – like. yes, he's being a little whiny, but I thought he comes out of that really well comparatively. I felt like the driver, if anything, was painting the driver with too broad of a brush as needy and clingy and everything Um. So that is very interesting. Well, I mean it's
1: it's very it's clear that the driver, you know, he lives in this wh- where where is that first gig? It's like somewhere really crappy. Sorry, wherever that is, but it just looks awful. Like he you know, he he lives in this crappy little town and his only joy in life is that he gets to occasionally meet people like Bill Burr and then Louis C.K. is like, "Oh, cool." Uh and then they're gone. So yeah. like whatever little joy he has in life comes from that. And Louie just kind of shits all over it.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's, I wanted to hear from our listeners. Let us know what you think of that. Cause I, I identified so strongly when, when you're just like, ah, I do. I feel like I need to talk to this person, but I really would rather just sleep. I'm so tired. I like, I love doing the gig, but this, everything that surrounds the gig is terrible. Uh, I've definitely been in that position before. So, uh, that's interesting. Okay, well, uh, yeah. Let us know, listeners, because that's I. It's very possible that I'm just over identifying, and you have a much more, uh, uh, th- that most of our listeners are gonna agree with how with your take on on, on the performance.
1: Uh, you know me, man of the people.
2: <laughs> well, let's move on to Silicon Valley uh, adult content. We'll have more to say about Louie next next week as it finishes up its season. But this is uh, Silicon Valley adult content. And uh, for me, this is, yay, Romy Rosemont, one of our uh, Televerse favorites, is is on Silicon Valley. And I really like, you know, bringing porn in because uh, the, when they're talking about how porn has pushed innovation and uh, technology and in, in an early adopter of technology, that's makes complete sense and so i actually really like that they introduced this element to the show um and any episode that gives us this much guilfoil is going to be an episode that i enjoy martin Starr has been killing it all season i feel like a lot of people have talked about zach woods and how great he is on the show and he is um so instead i'm going to give a bunch of praise this week to to martin Starr because he's been killing it all season
1: i think that the what the best thing they've done this season to me is they've really developed all the individual voices that make up the Pied Piper team, and uh, they've they've taken a little bit of time for each of them and uh, and and found an, a nice balance. Uh, it would have been nice to see Dinesh get a win in this episode. It was kind of depressing to watch uh, everything that happened with with him and and his uh, prospective date and uh, and Ehrlich. Uh that I feel like they needed something to le- to to liven that up a bit. It, it was it was a little bit too much of a downer for me. Uh that being said, everything else in the episode was great. The the whole uh, the the integration of the porn industry is perfect because it allows for um everything they said about uh, you know the the history of tech and porn was fascinating and doesn't really occur to you until you actually think about it. Uh but it also allows for lots of dumb porn gags, which is absolutely also up Mike Judge's alley. So it's got that perfect blend of uh of of uh, once again sort of high and lowbrow uh, humor and and public interest uh, so that was great and having Ro- Romy Rosemont be the face of that is uh, is a really nice and unexpected development.
2: I also felt like, did you feel like they were speaking directly to us when they had Thomas Middleditch be like, "My name is Richard Richard Armitage," because I feel like nobody actually. We all remember uh, Dinesh, we remember Guilfoyle. Uh, we even maybe remember Jared or OJ, o- o- as they apparently are now calling him. Um, but, you know, Ehrlich, you know, we remember Ehrlich. But I feel like every week on this podcast, we have to strain our brains to remember the the, the name of the Thomas main Middle character. Bitch. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that was a particularly fun little moment for me. Um, we only have a few episodes left this season. Is there anything in particular you're looking forward to or you're hoping that they get to?
1: Um, I'm sort of hoping this is the end of Russ. I don't know how likely that is, mm-hmm. um, but will or 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 portends the end of Russ, but we'll see.
2: Yeah, I don't know how much uh, more they can get out of the character. I, I like what they give him here. I think uh, Demetropolis uh, has done a really good job in that role, but it's a very heightened, very specific role that too much gets to be a problem pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, that would be nice if they could. Come up with a creative and fun way to to write him out. Uh, it will have been a successful arc that didn't overstay its welcome. So, we'll see what they do with that moving forward. Shall we round up, or we can come any other thoughts in Silicon Valley, or shall we move on to Veep? Let's do that. So, Mommy Meyer. When we saw the episode titles come out this uh, for the season of Veep, a lot of people, myself included, saw the title Mommy Meyer and thought, Oh, they're going to introduce Selena's mom. And then they mentioned Selena's mom being in the nursing home in the season premiere. And so that seemed like even more seating for that. And then we get here, it's like, no, it's, it's, it's just, it's the family's first bill. Um, I really like this episode. I thought it was a return to form. You can read my review over at the AB Club. But this episode does a few things that I think really set it apart from uh, the past couple weeks' episodes. First of all, it centers on Mike in a big way, and Matt Walsh makes the most of it. I think he's really, really very strong here. It gets everybody back to work, and that really helps the pacing and the energy of it. Instead of, like, constantly reacting to things, they're Progress, you know, they're actively going out and trying to, to do the, you know, work on the family's first bill. And it actually made Hugh Laurie a character, uh, which is nice, uh, cause he, he had to like make decisions and have opinions about things instead of just being the sort of bland good guy for the rest of the team to react to. Or uh, So, so for me, this was a, a much tighter installment of, of the season. What did you think?
1: Uh, yeah, I would co sign all of that, um, I like the uh, Jonah and Richard sort of discovery of, of, of the Friday night boozing and sort of <laughs> becoming uh, getting sort of uh, inadvertently integrated in, into that little circle. And then just ha- like and then just sort of getting to just hang out with everyone while they just get sloshed and bitch about their jobs um, was an unusually sort of. I mean, yeah, there, w- there was stuff going on in this episode, but a lot of it was just characters hanging out, shooting the shit. Uh, and not necessarily responding to a crisis which uh, I also really enjoyed it made it was sort of an unusually human episode of veep uh which is weird because uh, it also featured a scene in which uh selina asked them to pull up the hopes and prayers template which ooh that was dark
2: see but for me that just felt natural. Of course, they would have a hopes and prayers temp like that. What that didn't seem dark to me. That seemed like, well, of course, why wouldn't you? That just seems practical. <laughs> so maybe I'm a bad person, <laughs> uh, but no. And and with um, I, there was you know, for me the darker thing was uh, Selena slut shaming or saying she should have slut shamed the the you know Senator Bryant, Brad Leland, what Buddy Garrity in the House, uh, his his daughter, and then the good guy Tom James is like, no, that would have been wrong. Because you should have slut-shamed her this way instead. Like, you know, like, that was darker to me.
1: But that felt more obviously like a joke, at I least when, when James was saying it. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I definitely prefer the integration of, of Tom James this week. Um, it also, it speaks to the idea that when he's talking about how he thinks drugs should be legalized, That's actually that's interesting to me because uh, there's this perception, for instance, I don't think people are ever going to shake the idea that, for instance, Barack Obama is way more liberal than his policy suggests. And he actually has these secret awesome ideas that he'll never be able to enact because, you know, politics, which um, I don't know if that's really true or not. I believe the perception will pretty much always be there. We, Um, We like
2: to think that it's true.
1: Yeah, because it makes everyone feel better. It sort of a- yeah. allies it it allays liberal guilt uh, somewhat, uh, or seems to. But uh, to, to so to actually bring that up like, look, I'm now I'm not actually ever gonna tell anyone that I think legalizing drugs is a good idea, but I think it's a good idea. And then to have everyone else sort of have to just live with that information yeah, is that that's sort of fertile ground that I that it's nice to see them try. It's nice to, for, for them to have someone who actually has principles. Just doesn't, you know, necessarily do anything with them. Rather than not having principles and working from there, uh, that's a that's a great sort of uh, discrepancy to to be working from. That's some, something more. That's actually something interesting for them to do with Tom James.
2: Yeah, definitely. And it's a good contrast. It's it still maintains that contrast between the characters uh, with Selena and and Tom, but it makes Tom more interesting in the meanwhile like so, it, it develops him and makes him a more rounded and and uh nuanced character so that lets hulori get more to do but it doesn't remove the the contrast between those characters that has driven a lot of the comedy with that character so far this season um so uh, other things we should mention just briefly what did you think of the lobbyings i, I love that amy's already like over like she's been a lobbyist for like t- an episode and a half and she's already like done
1: yeah, um, I especially love the performance of the of the of their boss, Peter Gross. To me, this was sort of his. He was sort of the highlight of of those scenes to me. He's just so deliciously greasy, greasy and awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, just everything that Amy recoils at. He's like, yeah, isn't it, isn't it great?
2: Well, so, and Dan is like totally that. Yeah, he's he's just a Dan who's been doing it this longer. Uh so I, I love how how excited he Dan is to like do the 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 giant uh, lottery or whatever at the end, like he's totally in his element (laughs) as in contrasting again, uh, Amy and Dan, then and how uncomfortable she, or how bored she gets with it. Whereas, you know, Dan, Dan's just Sydney 2.0.
1: Yeah. I'll be, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see Amy have to give a giant, amazing apology uh, before the end of the season to, uh, to Selena. I feel, I feel like they could really do something with that.
2: Yeah, yep, I, I agree. Um, there's a lot of other stuff here that's a lot of fun, and you guys can go over to the v Club, AV Club and read my review there because I get into a lot more of it, but I think that's the, the main gist. We're enjoying the season of Veep. Any things you need to see happen in the next three episodes?
1: Uh, that just makes me feel the need to mention, hey, uh, Veep writers, when there was a shooter at Parliament Hill uh, a few months ago here in Ottawa, apparently some MPs hold themselves up uh, in, in, a, in a chamber of Parliament and took down some... F- some like flagpoles and we're fashioning spears out of them Seriously?
2: so <laughs>
0: that
1: is a thing that really happened so you missed a trick not ripping that off
2: oh my god and that is the thing that i can totally see some of them doing some of the, the cast doing wow like can't you see gary doing that
1: um i don't know about uh i don't know about gary but i could see gary cole doing it <laughs>
2: Fair enough. Uh, Well, what what wins your week in comedy this week? Um, I will give it to—I'll give it to
1: Silicon Valley. Why not?
2: Yeah, and I think um, my memory may be a little hazy, but I think I'm going to give it to. Goodness, I want to go younger. But I think I think I should give it to Veep because I did really like this episode of Veep. Um, right. I'd have to re-watch Younger to really be sure. But uh, but no, good TV, good good comedy this week. Now i will take a break and we'll come back with our week in genre and drama. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: Made by koala.
2: $50, by this week in genre and drama, I'm going to preview the whispers from ABC and Aquarius from NBC. Then we'll talk. Then I'll talk a little bit about the Between pilot uh, from Netflix and the Supernatural finale, Brothers Keeper. Then we'll both chime in with our thoughts on the Flash finale fast enough, because guys, Simon actually watched the Flash this week. Craziness. Uh, then we'll go to Game of Thrones, The Gift, I Zombie, Mr. Berserk, Penny Dreadful, Evil Spirits, and Heavenly Places, and we'll wrap things up with Orphan Black, Certain Agony of the Battlefield. So very quickly up here at the top, uh, The Whispers is starting this week on on ABC, and this is the it, it's like a it, it feels very summer series. It's there's a large like a global sort of conspiracy something going on. They don't really know, but there's this mysterious imaginary friend that is talking to some children very select children um called drill and causing you know enticing them to you know blow things up or uh you know just make bad choices as part of a like, game that they don't quite understand but you know they want to play so then you have uh Lily Rabe who's the main, the main character and is like a child specialist for the FBI or something who gets drawn into this, uh, as well as, you know, there's in- interpersonal intrigue, and there's a lot going on. But um, I don't think it's that great a show. But I do think Lily Rabe is fantastic. We loved her so much on uh, on American Horror Story Coven, despite American Horror Story Coven. So, you know, that tells you quite a bit about her as a performer. She really elevates this material. I watched the first three episodes. I could have had pretty much, I pretty much had the same opinion of the show after the third episode as after the first episode which is I don't know that I'm going to make time for it but I enjoy her so much that I was willing to watch what is some pretty standard serialized sort of quasi genre thriller um just for her you know she my my affinity for for her got me to watch three instead of just one um I don't know that this is something that's going to take off but if you like creepy kids being creepy or uh, the notion of an imaginary friend that no one can see. And there's somebody who's should be dead and they don't know how he's not dead, but he, but he is, and he's mysterious and there's secrets that need to be uncovered. And there's secrets. uh secrets. There's definitely secrets in this one. Um, so if, if that sounds interesting to you, check it out. And I could, I mean, I totally understand anybody just watching this because Lily Rabe is there being concerned mother person. But yeah, there's there's a lot less competition right now for shows, so this is one that maybe if people tell me it like really picks up, maybe I'll, I'll uh, you know later in the summer catch up with it. Um, but yeah, it's just why not solid like B for 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 the whispers. Whereas Aquarius over on NBC, I made myself watch the first two. This is gonna be uh, they're gonna be airing the first two episodes on the 28th over on NBC and then they're making the whole first season available to stream at nbc.com i i, I want to say um that same night so if you want you can watch the whole first season of Aquarius that that evening or over the course of, of this coming weekend um and i just don't know why anybody would want to do that because this is um this is a story it's set in this in the 70s Um, And it's about David Duchovny, who's a cop who's taking on, who's trying to rescue uh, a girl from the clutches of Charles Manson. And Charles Manson is a main character. And um, there's just, it's just, for me, it's very, very unpleasant. And to be turning a real life figure who's still alive, by the way, in case people don't know this, uh, and still, you know, is in jail and still has his, uh, you know, some of his pen pals and, and fans and followers, uh, to to be making a, a show that, yes, he's obviously the villain, he's clearly evil, um, but it also glorifies him in this bizarre way. He's, he's a very enigmatic presence, which is fitting. That's what everybody says about Charlie Manson, but... Why is this the show? like? There's already so much horribleness. Like, there's there's. Why do why do we need a fictionalization of of Charlie Manson? Like, I don't understand why someone would want to sit. And maybe it's also because the young girl who's being drawn into his clutches is one of the bunheads. Is played by one of the, one of the main bunhead actresses. And yay, yeah, it's great that she's getting work, paycheck, network paycheck. Awesome, great for her. But I don't really need to see Emma Dumont. Uh, falling prey to Charles Manson, because that's just not a thing I need in my life. And there's nothing here that's anywhere near interesting enough to make this a thing I need to watch. Um, do you ever run into that problem, Simon? Where it's like, like it's for me, there's not the distance of time that there is if you do set something for like if you made Hitler your main character in something. You know, like this is a horrible, horrible actual person. I need I need a little bit more distance to watch a show like this.
1: Well, I, you know, I don't think it would really matter if the show was good um, or if it had something interesting or different or new to say about the Manson case, which it doesn't sound like it does. I would say if I if you put a gun to my head and you wanted me to make a Manson show, the show I would make would be about what just happened with him, where this girl kept visiting him in prison and uh, essentially tried to get married to him. And it almost happened And basically, it was discovered that her plan was to marry him, and then when he died, she was going to put his body on display in public for, like, tons of money. (laughs) Which, that's, I'd watch that. I'd watch a a TV movie about that. But, uh, no, this doesn't sound intriguing to me at all. And also, uh, every time anyone brings it up, I, I have pretty much the entire score of the original soundtrack of Hair in my head at all times. Which, like now. (laughs) <laughs> this is the dawning... Anyway. So, yeah. yeah, I would find that immensely distracting.
2: Yeah, it also... I mean, there's a lot of... When you mention the music, Charlie Manson's uh, you know, musical aspirations are a big part of this, and, um, of course, David Duchovny has a band, so that means his character, who's a very, you know, sp- supposedly... Um, they, they want him to be like a Joe Friday, kind of beating up the hoods, old-school cop, you know, gay police brutality, um, but they also you know, have him be more hip to the kids than we expect. And there's, he's got a, a partner who's undercover. And so like, he's got the long hair and the five o'clock shadow. And does he look like a cop? No, man. Like the, it's really cliched uh, beats with that. And and <laughs> there's also a couple like reveals with that character that couldn't be more ham-fisted. Um, and just, there's a lot here. Like, and again, David Duchovny, very likable, very uh, eminently watchable, definite TV star. Like I can see if there, if if this wasn't a story about Manson, but most of the rest of it was the same, it would be uh, it would be a little, it would be a little different. But again, I know that Manson is not gonna get caught yet like, like there's i you know what's gonna happen you, you know what can happen and what can't happen at a certain point with this unless they're just gonna go full-on inglorious bastards with it which i would actually love to hear happened but um and so so when you have this girl this ran, this teenage girl who's who's there basically just to be a victim and so you can watch her like lose her sense of self and get subsumed by this violent dangerous cult. And watch her like turn into someone you know who would be one of the Manson's proteges who was like killing people for for the for Charlie and everything. Like, who wants that?
1: Yeah, no. Again, if if someone was gonna make us a uh, an American cult show, uh, I would rather watch like a Symbionese Liberation Army show about Patty Hearst or something. Like that, that would be kind of interesting.
2: That would be way more interesting. And like, I don't need the like. I didn't need the following. I don't need the Charlie Manson version of the fall because that's all this is. That's that's all this is.
1: You really should have opened with that.
2: Yeah. Anyways, uh, let's move on. <laughs> let's talk about shows that we actually like. Uh, well, maybe I shouldn't have spoken so soon because between uh, debuted on Netflix, it's their first series to to have one episode at a time debut. And I'm going to keep this very brief because we're already running along and say it's not very good. Um, we asked last week, is do we think that the reason they're changing their model for this ep- for this series is because it's really good or because it's really low risk? And the answer is it's not very good. So it's got to be the other one. Um, <laughs> this is one of those shows where everybody over age 22 is dying mysteriously. They don't know why. And so it's a bunch of teens. So there are the, these elements of like the hundred that you could you see a parallel between. Except that everybody in the cast looks like they're 26 at least. Um, all playing teenagers. And maybe that maybe they're younger than that. But the way that they're dressed, made up and um, and their hair and everything like watch Freaks and Geeks. You know, look at a cast photo from *Freaks and Geeks*. Look at a cast photo from *Between*, and you'll see why there's just instant cognitive dissonance uh, with the with the setup and premise of this. Uh, there's just this could be an interesting premise, but it should be better 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 performances. There's like one or two members of the cast that I actually enjoyed watching on screen, including the main, uh, one of the main characters whose name, the actress's name actually escapes me. But she's playing a pregnant teen, um, and I actually really like her delivery, and I would like to see her in other better things. But um, yeah, this isn't like Aquarius level, but it's just, it's not interesting or good, or good enough. It's not an interesting or good enough version of this kind of premise to be worth, to be worth anyone's time, I think. Uh, go watch The 100 instead. If you want to see something about what do, what do teenagers do in a world where all the adults start dying. Um, so let, I'm going to move quickly on to the Supernatural finale, Brothers Keeper. Uh, I've been watching this whole season of Supernatural, haven't really talked about it. They did an unfortunate thing with Charlie, which apparently seems to be sticking, at least for now. Uh, this I was, I was very disappointed that they killed death uh, this week. They killed Julian Richings, Simon. Why would you do that? If you can bring Julian Richings down once per season, why would you kill him?
1: Um, I don't know. I'm glad that's I'm glad that guy's still kicking around, though.
2: Yeah, he, he when he showed up, I was so excited because he's always wonderful as death. He's just a great. He's a fantastic death. He's one of my favorite TV deaths, I will say. Um, the the issue I have with Supernatural is that they keep escalating, and when you have the apocalypse in season five and you're heading into season eleven, that's a challenge. Uh, and what they need to, in at this point, the characters can't die because we know they can't die because it's a TV show and it's about these two brothers and it wouldn't really work without them. Um, so they try to come up with other ways. They come up with supernatural reasons that the characters can't die to explain that away. Um, but then they just keep raising the stakes by, you know, they introduce purgatory. They have this, now they've introduced something that like predates creation and maybe God, um, and they unleash that upon the world. So it's was like, wait, so you're telling me God, who's been very actively MIA throughout the series, and it's been something the series has commented upon, um, except for one moment that was kind of amazing, that we think is an act of God. Anyways, um, or two moments. But um, then you unleash this other being upon the earth, and this is not a show to have God solve it. So I guess the Winchesters are going to have to solve it. And the only other person who's ever combated this this force successfully is God with all of all of his, you know, his on the supernatural. So they use the masculine. So God with all of his armies of angels is what it took to beat this thing back. And now you're going to make the the two human characters have to take that. I, I they they're so overpowered that he can't possibly be accessible and they keep repeating these same character beats over and over again cuz that's the spine of the show. But when when you keep you know the, I think the, these characters work much better when they are struggling to to exert free will and as as cogs in a larger battle between good and evil and uh heaven and hell and, and whatever the darkness and something. But when when you've you've heavens in disrepair, heavens just kind of gone hell's not going to be able to really help out so it basically seems like it's these two brothers versus a force larger than god i just can't connect to that so i don't know they just keep escalating and that's a that's the trouble with the genre show with this, with this kind of approach in its 11th season i am not optimistic about next season but hopefully they the writers have something up their sleeve let's move on though to a finale that you did watch uh simon that's the flash finale fast enough what did you think
1: uh, it definitely seemed like uh, I don't care about the Flash. I I appreciate it for what it is. I appreciate that people enjoy it and that it's doing a good version of a thing I don't care about. Um, I think for that sh- I think for the Flash, it was a very good finale. Um, th- this is not a show that's like I mean I I've watched like three episodes this season and yet I had absolutely no problem grasping the basic conflicts that were going on and not just because. Uh, you know, I've read up on certain episodes, et cetera. I mean, I didn't necessarily get the backstory with uh, with Reverse Flash guy or why he seemingly both loved and hated the Flash. Um, that, that I didn't really need to make sense of that. I, I was the sort of thing where was like it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to assume it makes sense to anyone who's watching it. <laughs> I will say though that I did think it was kind of dumb that everyone was like, "You should definitely go back and save your mother. Uh, you, you do this for yourself." I mean, it might destroy the world, and it might def actually it would definitely irrevocably alter all of our lives that none of us will remember any of this happening uh, and everything could be very calamitously changed but you should definitely do it because you got to you got to do you bro
2: <laughs> well and his dad doesn't and i thought that that was a really smart choice that his you know to have his dad say don't go back in time and save my beloved wife and get me out of jail i mean but that, for, that was really probably... powerful
1: well, more than one person probably should have said, like, dude, okay, on one hand, maybe you get your mom back and your dad back. On the other hand, all this, others, see, this, no, it's gone. Gone. Yeah. All gone. So well, I I would have liked one more voice of reason.
2: I guess. And I for me, they gave that to Jesse L. Martin um, by having him reveal. No, I just didn't know what to, you know. It seemed like that's what you want, you should hear. So that's what I said, but that's not necessarily what I think. I think they've done a really good job with uh, with Joe and Barry's relationship over the course of the season. I'm very glad that they don't seem to be, like, deleting that from the show as they so easily could have if they had, you know, decided to, like, for at least a few episodes, do the whole altered timeline thing. Uh, one of the best moves in this finale is having Barry get to the past and tell himself, just don't do it. Um, that just, I was so glad, because it just seems so obvious that they were going to do, like, uh, then the first three or four parts episodes of this, of this next season, we're going to be Cisco's the only one who knows the timelines changed and, you know, like that kind of a thing. So uh, sort of like what they did on fringe. So I'm very glad that they opted to just skip that, but still have that really powerful scene with Barry and his mom.
1: Yeah. I know this is a small thing, but I would have liked the scene with Barry and his mom a lot better if,
2: it had okay. actually taken place in the amount of time that they said.
1: Yeah, it's like, if they, uh, you're going to go in there, and you're only going to have uh, five minutes and 12 seconds. If they said that, mm-hmm. then I would have totally bought. It's like, yeah. oh, that seems like enough time to have a tearful goodbye with my mother that is very, like, I just kept like, dude, dude, everyone's dead. Everyone's dead. They've been dead for like 40 seconds. Like, <laughs> I, I know it's a small thing, but when you've said it's going to be like 92 seconds or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. don't make a point of it if you're not going to do it right. I know it's I'm watching this wrong, but still, I I was distracted by things like that.
2: Yeah. And the other thing like that, of course, is Eddie shooting himself instead of, you know, saying, I know, let's go get a vasectomy.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously when you're in the middle of like a black hole erupting or whatever, it may be not a great time to try to book an appointment. But at that point, if you're really stuck, like I know it would be not a great way to live, but you could have just shot yourself in the garage.
2: Well, I was, you know, if he was a little, you know, cause because he had the whole episode to think about that because of the conversation that, you know, that he has with the Victor Garber character, how awesome would it have been if, like, just during, like, the, when he's off screen, he had booked an appointment and gotten, you know, gotten a vasectomy? He'd been like, wait a second, I control some of this. Why don't I?
1: <laughs> well, and it's also weird that, like, it's, without even the vasectomy thing, like, something happens in your life where you meet uh, like a future uh, ancestor who is totally evil i would just think that the meeting of that person would cause you to think okay i'm going to be a lot more careful about birth control in the future and that <laughs> itself would create the paradox <laughs> that then almost killed. like yeah anyway these are not things <laughs>
2: that we're first supposed to you to thinking be thinking about, about. <laughs> well and, and and yes i was thinking about all of that almost immediately after but in the moment it worked and it- you can yes. get me to to buy any number of ridiculous and stupid premises uh, and and certainly fridge moments out the wazoo if you execute it well. And they yes. executed this very well. The, the co- combination of comedy and emotion or pa- pathos in this episode is very well balanced. And, I mean, this didn't feel like a cliffhanger to me at all because, guys, they're not going to kill off the main cast. They're not going to end the world. This is the... They still want to be able to do fly, uh, crossovers with Arrow, so this is not gonna be like yeah. You know, this didn't feel. Like, it's just a matter of how are they gonna get themselves out of it. But I'm not suspenseful at all about the uh, the end of this uh, of the season. So it was a little odd to me to see everybody calling it um, a, like if they had resolved it and then the world was all like changed and Barry was like what that would be more cliffhanger y to me.
1: Right. Also. Not watching The Flash, it seems to me that the rules of comic book storytelling dictate that Eddie's body floats up into the black hole thing, and yeah. that means he's going to be a villain later.
2: He's going to come back in some... Yeah, I wouldn't... I At first, I was like, oh, man, I really liked Rick Costinette on this season, series. I thought they, you know, by the end of the season, they really had given him the right kind of material to play. I was like, oh, yeah, he'll totally be back. And then this also allows them to keep um, Tom Cavanaugh on, because he was at at press tour, so clearly he was going to be... On the next season, um, because they can have him actually be Harrison Wells if they want, instead of the guy who killed Harrison Wells and then took his body, you know. Uh, so, so that lets them maintain that relationship on the show, but get bring new things to it as well. So, uh, we'll see how they how they how everything pans out and how they play with the multiverse next season. But I, it was a very solid and and to what has been at least for me a very enjoyable season of the Flash, w- one of the stronger first seasons of this past year.
1: I still can't decide if Don't Dream It's Over is appropriate for a wedding though.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know. It was a very rushed wedding. I don't know why we were supposed to ca- I kept waiting actually for Caitlin to die even though I know she's a character in the comic books. Um just because she's not on the spin-off and he is on the spin-off. Um so or maybe maybe it's just Victor Garber. I thought that that um Robbie Mel was in the spin-off. I don't know. They're time traveling. It's going to be a whole thing. I'm actually looking forward to that. We'll see how it goes. But um, now let's move on uh, to our next show, unless you have any other thoughts on The Flash. Nope. Okay, let's move on to Game of Thrones The Gift. I'm going to stay out of this because, of course, there's this whole Sound On Site Game of Thrones podcast that I'm on. You guys can check out my thoughts there. Um, I tweeted out that I was going to be dread watching this episode of Game of Thrones. Uh, did you have a similar. Like, were you. H- how did you feel about, you know, sitting down to watch this and. Where our fears or the the frustrations and fears expressed by both us and the internet last week, uh, how did, how did they play out this week with the gift?
1: Uh, I I really thought that after last week they would just they would have a no raping week, which nope. they, Yeah, not really. I mean, technically yes, uh, but there was um, you know implied, not just implied, but stated multiple off screen in between episodes rape, which. Uh, and then, of course, everything that happens in the north, which, uh, um, especially also especially the whole notion of of Sam, uh, or, or rather the 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 near rape followed by the consensual sex, it was just like icky. It was weird. Uh, I didn't like it. Uh, it was in any other context that scene would have been like quite nice and tender and and helpful, but not in that one. Um, this really felt, other than that, this really felt like the episode that gets us to the stuff that we care about, but doesn't contain the stuff we care about, uh, which Game of Thrones has to do from time to time. So, you know, we, I was very, very glad they got up to, I, I was really worried we were going to get like two or three episodes of Tyrion and Jorah, like working their way up the gladiatorial ranks, which I was really glad they skipped all that. Um, it really seemed like they were going to like split them up or have them nearly miss or it's like, ah, damn it. And then. It actually happened so that was great um but i really just need to get to the part where they actually talk and not just meet uh so that would be great um i really need them to skip to the invasion also because we've had more than enough preamble for that and uh, i guess that's it for now it it felt like very much the the preamble episode
2: yeah there's a lot of um things we've been waiting for start to happen um we'll dive in with Sansa and Theon on the Sound of the Side Game of Thrones podcast. So I'll just leave that for now. And I, I the thing I will point out though, briefly with Gilly, that I think is important to remember with that character. Um I I don't want to diminish her trauma in this episode, but I think it's important to remember her background of years of abuse and rape at Craster's Keep. Um and mm. uh and so what she experiences as as traumatic as it is in this episode is far from the most traumatic thing that has happened to her, so because of that and because of her um the reaction to what's going on and you know uh it seems it seems to me like she's been like I bought her engaging with Sam in like so quickly after being you know threatened with assault because she comes from that background and so is more toughened to it than somebody like Sansa would be, for example, you know? Um, Mm. so I was more able to buy that as a, um, as, as something that she would do and, and for her to be able to distinguish between the violence of rape and the expression of love of sex with Sam, you know, like I, I, because of, again, because of her background, I was more able to accept that as a mm-hmm. legitimate choice for her.
1: Fair enough. I would say, actually, that the best stuff in the episode came early with uh, the death of, w- which Targaryen is he? Aemon. Aemon, thank you. Uh, with the death of Aemon Targaryen, I thought everything with that was great and actually quite touching. And they, they did a nice job sort of re uh, reacquainting us with that character in time for this to yeah. like adequately prepare for it so that was all quite elegantly handled i thought
2: yeah definitely well we will keep checking with game of thrones over the course of the season as we head to i'm sure what will be a very epic ninth episode as uh, always is the case with game of thrones let's move on now to i zombie mr berserk i don't really have much to say about this uh, i'll have thoughts i think on i zombie at the end of the season uh but you had thoughts on this episode uh
1: Kind of. I mean, I just... I can't figure out exactly what's missing from iZombie, but I keep really wanting to like it, and then it keeps taking me, like, four hours to watch an episode, because I'll watch a bit and just be like, oh, this is boring, or this isn't really engaging with me, and then I'll begrudgingly finish it later, because it's Rob Thomas, and I feel like I need to watch the Rob Thomas things. But, yeah, it's not really working for me, and I'm not entirely sure why. I think mostly it's just the fact that the characters aren't quite distinctive enough still, um... I, and, and I, again, I don't know if it's a function of the whole brain eating uh, takeover thing, but uh, the it, it. I think it's two things. I think it's the fact that the characters don't feel distinctive enough, and I and and it's the fact that there's so much that they need to press the fast forward button on, and they're just not doing it. Like, I understand her excuse for not wanting to tell Major anything, but, but I thought it was done. That's what it dumb. is,
2: and it's clearly yeah. like. I, it makes sense for her as a character. Like I can totally buy that, but it's you as a viewer and especially as a educated in genre TV tropes viewer, like we are. And most of our listeners, I would assume are, um, we know they're just doing that to delay story points to, you know, to, to give major more snooping to do, you know, cause they want to delay that for the end of the season or something like there's learn a lesson iZombie, zombie from Flash from pretty much every show where there's a main character with a secret identity. Th- let all the other main characters in on it, and all of a sudden they'll magically get better and look get more interesting, and they won't feel as stupid. And and it just the sh- those shows work better. So on Arrow, when Felicity found out and and Dig found out, the show was better. On Flash, when they finally let Air- Iris in on it, the show worked better. You know, just to skip through that part, like when Cordy and Oz and you know Tara and everybody is let in on the whole Slayer thing on Buffy. Those characters are interest, if in, infinitely more interesting because they can be involved in the main plots instead of off on their own narrative side. You know, side thing. So, um, absolutely agree with that. And uh, though I like that they do care enough to give, you know, to make Ravi want to tell, and to to have that be a discussion. But I just wish they would have had Rob Ravi win that argument.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was a real bummer to watch. But I don't know. To me, the the bigger problem is the fact that the characters and the dialogue just aren't clicking in the in to the degree that I would hope. It, it a lot of it just feels a lot more functional than distinctive, still, which is a real problem.
2: Yeah, definitely a problem at this point in the season. Though you know, again, <laughs> we're spoiled for season ones right now. Uh, so that's so- true. You know, maybe that's something that'll work out by the end of the season or the beginning of next season. Uh, Let's move on to Penny Dreadful, Evil Spirits, and Heavenly Places. We were, I would say, almost gaga over last week's episode. Uh, Was this a letdown or a continuation of that trend? Uh,
1: I was worried about them getting back to the present timeline and getting sort of reintegrating all the characters again. This mostly stuck to the right side of of what the show does well, I think. Um, Even the stuff with Caliban was good. Um, Well, uh,
2: repetitious, but.
1: Repetitious, but good. Yeah. Uh, I don't mind a little bit of repetition from Penny Dreadful. I mean, most of this episode was uh, was the stuff I like from Penny Dreadful, which is characters hanging out, uh, doing Victorian stuff, and not the Victorian stuff you expect. So, you know, we get um, Dorian Gray and Angelique going on a ping pong date. Why? Because John Logan read somewhere that this is where ping pong got first popularized, and he thought it was really cool, so he wrote a scene about it. And, in, and there are shows where that wouldn't work but for this show it totally works. I loved that so much. Um and we get I don't know like details that other shows just wouldn't bother with but I think add a lot to the world. I mean, first of all, we're way overdue for the Simbene episode, but for now it was really nice that we find that we found out that he makes a, a great buttercream tort. <laughs> uh I, I love that. I love the little bits of character and world building that we get. Uh, it makes, you know, there's very little threat in this episode. And uh, when we get, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes of time spent on just learning who these people are and why we should care that they're being threatened, that makes everything way better.
2: Yeah, definitely. And like having Chandler immediately cotton to the the, the yes. mark, you know, like things like that are just and we'll see. I think they, they keep teasing his father. So they're gonna have to pay. I mean, that's something that I expect to be like a end of season cliffhanger kind of thing where they reveal I don't know an actor we like or you know that he's another Wolfman or something. I don't know, but um, but I thought that scene really worked. And again, like making the characters smart, making them fun, giving them agency. That's how you get us to care about them. So when Vanessa just keeps screwing with with uh, tr- uh, Frankenstein, <laughs> Frankenstein buying clothes, it's just it's adorable and it's it's super fun. And she's been so overdue a a chance to not growl at things and uh, yes. lower her raspy voice to new levels of of uh you know grittiness. The part the part that I'm least interested in right now is the. Timothy Dalton, uh, Evelyn Poole relationship that they mentioned, they bring up again here, just because, and I know we're supposed to be invested in it because we don't want him to end up like the guy from the previous episode, but um, it just seems strange to me that he wouldn't have connected those two things at this point. Like, hasn't Vanessa mentioned that Evelyn Poole is the one who's doing this to her?
1: Uh, I don't know if she's met... Evelyn Poole in the current timeline or not?
2: Yes, she has because it was has last she? season at the the séance. The whole séance thing was remember Evelyn Poole was the one doing it and then Vanessa like took it over. And so both Vanessa and the Dalton character were there and they have both met her socially previously.
1: Oh, that is weird. I wonder if they'll explain that at some point. I mean, I get it with with Dalton because she seems to have like hexed him or something. She was yeah. like controlling his mind, so yeah, that makes sense. And maybe she did something to Vanessa, and I'm just not remembering it. Anyway, it's something they'll have to account for. Um, I will say that the the one scene that made me the, the scene that made me most uncomfortable was definitely the uh, Frankenstein Billy Piper sequence, oh, which God. <laughs> like some of it was great. Um, you know, with discuss, you know, this this very uh, sort of textbook discussion of patriarchy and sort of him mansplaining patriarchy (laughs) to Mm -hmm. the lady that he that he uh, recreated. It was it was so like delightfully uncomfortable, but then the rest of it was just not delightfully uncomfortable. Um, I do think they did a great job, like in terms of her physicality. They did a great job with just how much awful pain she was in.
2: Yeah, I just think. I need that you talk about fast forwarding. I need them to fast forward to her getting some of her memory back but not that accent so that she can have more agency cuz yeah. that character when that happens is going to be awesome with with the the personality and the uh the willfulness and the uh the strength of purpose that we saw from Brona in season 1 give that to this new version of the character and she's going to be a really fun addition to the cast we can get rid of Caliban and replace <laughs> that character with this character and it'll be way more interested. um but yeah but that that seems like they're really stretching that out and this everything we get with Frankenstein and Vanessa great uh the the the, the trickiness of the the Lily Frankenstein relationship interesting but this, like, kept in a room, kept in a box, tell me about the world, Lily, not at all. That's one of the weaker corners of the show for me, as, as is everything with the investigator, do not care. Not even a little. Yeah. And everything with the waxworks, and apparently soon-to-be soon to freak show, do not care. Uh... Yeah, I mean, again,
1: it's one of those things that John Logan read about and thought was super cool, so he's so he's putting it in the mm-hmm. show. And I, I continue to actually really enjoy that corner of the show because it's the stuff that's more overtly plot driven doesn't always work, but the world building basically always does. Um, but yeah, I don't. I, there was more that I enjoyed than didn't enjoy this week. Definitely uh, more sort of on par with the second episode, I would say. I'm hoping that they can. can this was a nice proportion of characters doing casual hangout stuff and plot stuff. I would like them to keep that ratio going.
2: Yes, yes, that would be nice. So for me, not nearly as good as last week's, but a definite improvement on the rest of the season so far. Um, Let's move on to our last show of the week, and that's Orphan Black, Certain Agony of the Battlefield. And uh, let's just have a moment for Paul. Uh, So glad he's dead, but (laughs) also, also very glad that he went out. Well, they they did it they gave a they put a lot of care into the way that they wrote him out. And while, yes, the character's been really confusingly written and I I don't buy for a moment all the various turnarounds they've done with him. That's a real failure on the writer's part over the course of these three seasons. At least they tied they tied it back into Beth in a really meaningful way. They recognized that the most interesting version of Paul was the season one version of Paul. And so they did their best to get back to there in that this last episode and uh yeah, the, we no longer have him on the show, which is a good thing because there are about two or three other characters who could serve his purpose uh, currently, and they finally seem to recognize that. So, it goodbye, Paul, you went out well, but I'm not going to miss you.
1: It's immensely obvious from, like, the first three minutes of this episode that Paul's going to die because he gets so much more attention from the beginning than he has gotten probably in two and a half seasons.
2: You say that, but I didn't trust them to actually kill him off because they should have done it so long ago, or at least written him off so long ago that I didn't think that they would actually do it. So, yeah.
1: Um, I don't know. I, to me, it was it was the it was the clear move, and I'm I'm glad they did it. Um, this episode is strange to me because I didn't like it that much, but I I disliked it in better ways than usual. Like it felt like. It was really making an effort to be a good version of *Orphan Black*, even if it wasn't really working. It's not; it wasn't bad in the in the sense of like the early episodes of the season where there was just a bunch of shit happening nobody cares about, and you know, it's delving into mythology that was just so Byzantine and useless. And this felt more like, okay, we're gonna try to be the version of the show you remember, even if we're not always good at it. Um, so you know, heavy on fantasy sequences, heavy on uh, the characters we actually care about. Um, but a lot of the stuff didn't really connect for me. Everything with Paul, like, I appreciate that they, they bent heaven and earth trying to make us care about Paul again. They really, really tried. It didn't work, but they really tried. Uh, so good on them. Um, what else didn't work? They really, really want us to enjoy the Donnie and Allison stuff, which, uh, resulted in that ridiculously, uh, gif-hungry sequence of them twerking in the bedroom, which I didn't really buy- I could kind of buy Donnie getting into it. Can't really buy Allison getting into it. Uh, at least not to that degree. It was just, it was a little bit too much for me. I know you enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, no, I really did. Uh, and, and I totally can buy Allison getting into it because it's, it's, it, it- connects for me very much with her acting out or, or embracing this plotline. If you want to say that this whole plotline of the drug dealing all season doesn't fit with her character then absolutely I agree. But if you if you buy her willingness to go into this world, then I can then I think that that her enjoyment, you know like they're making it rain and everything, like that especially because this is one of those times where being on basic cable, like the fact that she's wearing a bra while she does this is perfect for Allison. Like I absolutely like that kind of thing, like that that I buy. Um so for me that all worked. It's completely disconnected with everything else going on and there's no point to it, but at least it's fun. Um if you're if that's going to be the case and they've now had their quotient of that, I've given them the it doesn't fit in, but it's fun, so I'll, so so I'll give you a pass. Now they need to tie it in because I, it doesn't matter how fun and entertaining and glitter twerk party uh, the next episode is, if they don't very, very quickly tie it into th- what's going on with them to this larger thread of the Caster and Lita stuff, I don't know, I just don't think they can sustain it at all.
1: Yeah, no. Um, speaking of Caster, uh, I wouldn't mind if they uh, resumed the earlier uh, the, the earlier trend of whittling down the casters I think we can re- I think we can resume doing that pretty soon
2: I don't think they're gonna cuz I think if they were gonna they would have kept Mark dead
1: yeah oh god you just made me remember that that was easily Sorry. my that was easily the worst moment of the season so far uh I still also negative care about um bad lady whose name I can never remember
2: mother yeah yeah she has a name but I just keep calling her mother uh I I concur um the this stuff I want what did you think of the stuff with Beth cuz for me that really did work it was very uh very uh, affecting I'm glad they found a way to reincorporate Beth even if it's just like an imagined version of Beth inside uh Sarah's mind that scene was very effective for me. Uh,
1: I don't know. The the stuff with with Beth and her like hallucinations or visions of like don't go into the light or go into the light or just uh it was some of it worked and some of it was just a little bit too much for me. Uh the Beth scene kind of uh towed that line s- very, very closely to being too schmaltzy for my liking. Um I think the performance made it work, but I wasn't uh overly fond of, of the writing. It was it was very it was very telly, if I can if I can put it that way. In a in a way that didn't really make sense for someone's subconscious. Um it was a little bit too direct. Uh that being said, uh glad Paul's dead. Um and uh, I'm hoping that their clear deck will help them a little bit more. I, again, I don't think the episode, a lot of it didn't really work for me, but I like that they're uh, at least really trying to make uh, the, the, the season momentum work for them. Uh, oh, and everything with Felix was great. It was nice to see him be a little bit more proactive.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what do you think of our other big death this week? Helena eats the scorpion.
1: Oh, yeah, that was great. Do you think the
2: scorpion's back?
1: uh oh yeah the scorpion will always be back
2: okay yeah i i really liked um the i thought the ending it was you could see it you know coming a mile away once you know they had the way too big an explosion for just one grenade but whatever
1: um yeah there were like gas tanks in there or something though
2: yeah oh okay yeah i didn't think i didn't think of that that makes sense um yeah that, that i really like that ending i'm looking forward to helena and sarah road trip back to to canada i guess from to toronto from uh from, from mexico, mexico. <laughs> yeah that didn't feel like Mexico at all, guys. Just I'm actually from Black Team that didn't look like Mexico. I'm
1: actually gonna be really curious to see if they're if they actually say we're going to Toronto because it's it's very clearly Toronto, but they've never even said they're in Canada, so like yeah, how do they do that
2: but scarberia, right? that's a specific Toronto reference
1: uh yes, yes, it is um but other that's really been the only one, so I don't know if they're gonna yeah. try to yeah, I don't know. Anyways, yeah. it's, it's it's if they just skip over the States, I'll be entertained.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um so uh, any other things to mention. I again, the last the last thought I have on on this episode, I liked it a lot more than you did it sounds. You get like you guys can find my review at Sound on Sight for this episode. Uh the last thing I'll mention is we get that lovely last scene with Helena and um and Sarah. And what's the first thing that came to mind for me after, you know, Look at Mislani again being awesome. Really nice, a very affecting last moment for for this episode. Uh, Good Wife, shame, shame on you. Can you I, <laughs> I, I like to think that the Good Wife like crew and and some of like producers and and even like whoever's responsible between the two actors for the feud. I like to think that they watched that. You know, they ha- they, they sat down to watch that and then just felt really bad about how shitty a job they did in the finale because guys <sighs> she like lifts herself up Maslani lifts herself up from the ground and carries herself out and it's completely seamless
1: yeah yeah uh my last comment is something that occurred to me this week is that uh mazlani and her new girlfriend have really great chemistry
2: yes oh so that's ke- i i for me she's just kedzy um, you mean kasima right?
1: Uh, yes, that's what I meant. kasima
2: Yeah. that For me, that's she's just Kedzie still, um, because the actress was on Lost Girl, playing a, a character Kedzy who was fabulous. Um, yeah, I just am not waiting. I'm not excited about how the other shoe is going to drop there. I would love for her to not actually be connected to anything, but I don't trust that that's what they'll do. Um, the way she's like, Sarah, oh, you mentioned it in your sleep, but the show didn't show you, you know, mentioning it in your sleep. So therefore, we can't trust that you did. Um i I just you know it's nice to see cosima smile but i don't like how clearly they're they're uh foregrounding that she will soon be crying again
1: yeah um also i'm not sure if i buy slash uh am totally into like ice queen delphine or like rachel delphine but um i mean it's nice to have Evan evidently back i guess
2: yeah, I still really like her, but yeah, no, uh, we'll we'll see what happens with that moving forward. So, what wins your week in genre and drama, Simon? Uh,
1: um, my options are Penny Dreadful, Orphan Black, Game of Thrones, uh, I...
2: uh, Flash finale, Eyes Zombie. I'll
1: give it to Penny Dreadful, if only for ping pong. It's a weird thing to do award, but I was just totally delighted by that for some reason.
2: Well, and I can totally see that lifting it over the edge for you because it was a delightful scene, especially just Angelique, Angelique just, like, wiping the yeah. floor with Dorian, too. That was great. And also,
1: like, for for, uh, for some reason, I don't mind that that storyline doesn't connect to anything. Like, it's not, like... Yeah. It's just, it's just a nice note to add. It's not like the the Allison and Donnie stuff where I'm just actively distracted by how disconnected it is. Like, it doesn't connect to anything else, but it's, uh... But it's a nice counterbalance.
2: But it's also one scene. And it's,
1: yeah, one or two scenes.
2: Um, I'm gonna give it to... Oh, I'm torn between the Flash finale and Orphan Black... I guess it's a finale. I'll give it to The Flash. And I like to think that Orphan Black will have an even better episode, continue their return to form for me, or at least an improvement, I would say for you, um, and have another installment that, that can win, win this next week um, before Hannibal shows up and it becomes the Hannibal award. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll get I'll give it to the flash finale. All right. Um, now a few show notes. You can find a post up for this episode at, episode at soundonsite.org, dot org, where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us theteleverse at gmail. dot com. We're up in iTunes with an M four a chaptered feed and an MP three unchaptered feed. Uh, we would very much appreciate any ratings or reviews that you guys could send us there. It does help other people find the show. You can also uh, you can also find us on Facebook. You can like us to follow the goings on at Sound On Site TV or at the podcast, and you can. Start up conversation there. We'd love to talk with you about uh, about about what's going on and these various shows right now. And then, of course, we're both up on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Simon, you are
1: at Sucker Howell.
2: And what is our question of the week?
1: Uh, I'm just curious if there's anything that's airing right now that we're not covering that people are interested in that we've just been skipping over or that we're not watching at all. Like I know that we we keep meeting to catch up with Banana and Cucumber Tofu, that whole triumvirate, and not doing it. Um, but you know, I, I've been a little bit busy, which I hopefully won't be now. Um, yeah. So yeah, if there's anything that you'd like to hear about that we haven't, that we've completely skipped over for some reason, uh, you, sometimes there's a reason and sometimes there isn't. Um, so yeah, just let us know.
2: Yeah. And there's also that other Yahoo show, um, Outer Space. Oh. Outer Space. Yeah, that's another one that um, I'm intrigued about. But yeah, hopefully in this next week or two, it's going to be kind of crazy for me heading into uh, Austin Television Festival. And again, maybe this is a good time to mention I will be at the Austin Television Festival (laughs) beginning of June. I know one of our listeners, uh, Beth, is going to be there. If any of our other listeners are going to be there, hopefully we can, you know, meet up and get some drinks or something at some point. So uh, let let me know. Drop me a line on Twitter. Uh, But yeah. Getting ready for that and the start of Hannibal is going to take some time, but hopefully pretty quickly here in the, in the next few weeks, I'll be able to catch up with banana and cucumber and tofu as well. Um, so let us know what 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 else do you guys think we should be talking about, because that's, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, now we'll take a break and we'll come back with friend of the show, Steve Procopi, uh, Capone from Made it Cool News, to talk about Dark Knight of the Scarecrow and the Night Stalker. So we'll be right back after this.
0: On the CBS Saturday Night Movies, this gentleman saved this little girl's life, but they accused him of harming her. We'll do this ourselves. And he was tragically murdered. Now, one by one, the men of this town are dying. Who is his avenger? Is it the dead man's grief-stricken mother? They killed my boy. The little girl who loved him. I know what you
1: did
0: to bother. Or could it be the Scarecrow?
1: Night of the Scarecrow, coming up next. Chapter 1.
2: This is the story behind one of the greatest manhunts in history. Maybe you read about it, or rather what they let you read about it, probably as some minor item buried somewhere on a back page. However, what happened in that city between May 16th and May 28th of this year was so incredible that to this day the facts have been suppressed in a massive effort to save certain political careers from disaster and law enforcement officials from embarrassment. This will be the last time I will ever discuss these events with anyone. So when you have finished this bizarre account, judge for yourself its believability. And then try to tell yourself, wherever you may be, it couldn't happen here. Hello and welcome back to the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, it's time for another of our favorite segments here, at the, the televerse. And that's Steve Procopi's horror picks, Capone from Made Cool News. Uh, Steve, welcome back. And what delights do you have in store for me this time?
0: The uh, one of the most highly regarded made-for-television horror movies, and I'd never seen it before, is Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Uh, that's that's one. And then we'll hit Night Stalker a little bit later. But uh, I I'm every every site that I checked on about these you know, what great the greatest horror movies made for television. This was on the list. Uh are you and while being I,
2: serious I, right now? Because I can't. Yeah, absolutely. I would How? not have picked it
0: if I didn't think it was gonna scare the crap out of you. But yeah um there's like two seconds of this movie that are genuinely scary. And then the rest of it is just Charles Derning in a mailman outfit. Like that's pretty <laughs> much that's pretty and, and and he doesn't he wear it to court and he wears it to like funerals and i I don't know he wears it it's the only outfit he owns Uh,
2: (laughs) well let's let's back up a step here for, for our listeners who aren't aware uh First, you can go to soundonsite.org slash DVD hyphen shelf hyphen library and see all of our past DVD shelves, including the previous five installments of Steve Procopi's Horror Picks, which have included a lot of fantastic made-for-TV movies and miniseries that uh, with a horror focus. Most of them have been, at the very least, uh, very interesting. A couple uh, more on the comedy side than the horror side. Uh, and I would say that's basically where you have to take Dark Night of the Scarecrow, right? Because I, I want to know, this is like a 40% on Round Tomatoes or something like that. I want to know how anyone could think this was a scary movie, not even just now, but at the time. Because it really, there's like two or three moments that are very effective, and certainly yeah. elements are effective, but as a whole, damn.
1: Should we maybe explain the concept of this movie?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Simon funny, take it away.
1: Oh, all right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Charles Derning plays. Um, Apparently, uh, a latent pedophile, although that's not really dealt with uh, very, very directly, uh, who spies uh, a, a young girl who's, who's playing around with this uh, mentally challenged fellow who is played in the most stereotypically uh, mentally challenged fashion possible. Uh, v- uh, a- apropos of, is this 19, what's the year on this?
2: 1981.
1: 81, 81? seriously?
2: And that's Larry anyway. Drake, by the way, an actor I've seen in many other things.
0: He has played a right. character like this before. Wasn't he in L.A. L.A. Law? Was that what it was that so he played a, a mentally challenged guy as well? Didn't he? Right. Anyway,
1: yeah. it, it, it's it's a mentally challenged guy performance straight out of 1961. Um, uh, so uh, he, d- he doesn't like the look of what he sees. So he and uh, and a, and I'm skipping a few things here, but basically he and a posse. <laughs> uh round you know ha- have a vigilante justice of sorts and shoot him a bunch of times while uh he's dressed as a scarecrow don't ask and um then of course the scarecrow returns for vengeance uh that's the whole movie and charles durning in a uh charles durning the 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 latent pedophile mailman
2: yes with the very entertaining hat, I must say. I was enjoying his his mailman hat quite a bit. That was my favorite part of his costume. And he
1: sweats a lot.
2: Very sweaty, which is appropriate, I would say, for, for the film or the movie, TV movie, and for the performance. But here's what I'm going to say. This is not a good movie. I don't know why people thought it was a good movie. I have no idea what what how much they must have paid Vincent Price to get the marvelous or marvelous, I was terrified, quote from him that's on the front of their DVD here. <laughs> but... um. There are a few things that I will give them credit for. One of which is the score, which is very campy, very over the top, and yet for me was surprisingly effective. I was watching this with my sister saying, "This is not scary." And yet and, and this score is very obvious and yet it's somehow working on me a little bit, so credit where it's due. Um and then also I actually think that uh during that there's parts of this performance are actually pretty good considering what the film is there when he's like kind of being creepily looking uh, at the girl and like kind of just like appears around the young girl at the, at the Halloween party. Like there are a couple scenes of that that I think actually are very good. It's just so much of this is just, just not. Uh, so, So again, I think there are effective moments. There are effective elements, but on the whole is just it. There's no excuse for this.
1: Can I make a blanket statement that might offend some people at home? Um, (laughs)
2: Please do. We love um, those.
1: By and large, horror fans are suckers. Um, I'm I'm sure I've I've said things like this before. Um, To to finesse that a little bit, many horror fans are not that discerning, um, especially with regards to movies they may have nostalgia value for. So I think there was just a certain number of people who saw this at a certain age like seven um, and thought that scarecrows were creepy because they were seven
2: well and I would also say that I think there are I think that's true of many especially underserved fan bases and I, I certainly have count, count myself among many of those so you know people who like uh, who like a particular brand of sci-fi, like people who like space shows with spaceships, like myself, will accept a much crappier show with spaceships and be excited about it if there's nothing else available to us. Like, for example, right now there isn't. Um and, and I, I think that's true of a lot of different sub genres of the of the horror and fantasy and sci fi, you know, area. Or even just, you know, people who like melodrama. People who like very specific genres, if they aren't being served, will accept Sub sub you know substandard or sub quality material just because at least someone is giving them something of what they like. Well, let me, still, let me, though, th-
1: yeah. still, there's no way in hell this is the best 1981 TV movie about an evil scarecrow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> let, me, let me let me pile on a little. And just say that in particular, if you were a 13 14 year old whose parents wouldn't let them go to see horror movies in the movie theater uh, at this time, this was the best you had, which might. Make it make people remember it a little more fondly in their minds. But um, that being said, I, I think there are, especially toward the end, I mean, it's, it, it takes 40 minutes of this 90 minute movie to get to any even mildly creepy scarecrow action. So, but there are a couple just very brief flashes of decent horror that the, the scarecrow is a creepy looking thing. And I didn't realize it until I saw this movie. You know, some people don't like clowns, some people don't like you know, I, I scarecrows scare the crap out of me. And I, I not that I've had much exposure to them, maybe that's why, but um there there are definitely some moments in the end uh where I was like, okay, this is this is actually like genuinely scary. And if it was nighttime and I was by myself, yeah, this this might actually get to me. Um and yeah, and of course Charles, Charles Derning, the the man is a is a great actor, maybe not as evidenced in this film so much, but he he does make it. An, and the pedophile thing is so matter of factly handled that it's almost that's almost more disturbing that it, that's not the focus of this movie mm-hmm. uh, or a focus of this movie. It's just a thing um, that's sort of mentioned peripherally. Um, that's a little it's a, it's a nice little twist, but it's uh yeah, it, it's not really dealt with. Um Well,
2: but I think that it, that makes it work a lot better. And and I liked actually the way that they handle that in this in and over the course of the the runtime where at the beginning, well especially because they've lowered your expectations, by the time they've entered enter, <laughs> added that element in, you just the movie starts and it's just like this little girl and her friend skipping through flowers or whatever and then it pulls back and there's some guy watching them with binoculars. And by this point, by the time that happens, you're like, "Oh, okay. And within a couple of scenes, you're like, oh, this isn't a very good movie. Okay, just go with it. But then later, <laughs> later in the movie, they start introducing, okay, but you've been, why are you following this girl around? And there's all these little, you know, this notion of, oh, maybe he's a pedophile, but he doesn't seem like he a- knows it or is okay with that. If it is, like, he's the notion that he he never drinks, maybe because he's afraid of what he would do if his inhibitions were lowered. Like, there, there's stuff that's there that's threatening to be interesting, Uh-oh. but then just never really comes to fruition.
0: Well, I, at first I thought he was watching them because he didn't, um, just because he didn't like the Larry Drake yeah. character. Which is why, like, you don't really hear someone sort of peripherally mentions it later that, oh, we know about you. And and I'm and like, wait, what are they talking about? And then you realize, oh, no, he was spying on the girl in those scenes. So it, it is actually, there's a depth there. I'm not even sure it was intentional, but uh there, there is there are actually layers to this at least one layer one extra layer
1: there's there's another pull quote there's another pull quote for the dvd unintentional depth
2: <laughs> <laughs> the last um, thing i'll say about it is uh because i'd much rather move on to our next uh film which i think is a lot more things to discuss but um we don't actually see the scarecrow that frequently which i guess is right. a good thing probably because if if Depending on how they executed that, they could see that very quickly becoming laughable. Um, and, and they do a good job of really letting you believe for pr- quite a long time that that it could be the little gar- girl, it could be the mom. Because what actually kills these people in, in this revenge, you know, fantasy, the revenge film, is buttons. So someone <laughs> pushes a button on a thing and it kills them. Uh, you know, yes. like... And and so they really because they haven't shown the scarecrow, they do, if it was executed better, they could have very easily built up um either Marilee uh or or the mother as a very um legit legitimate, you know, threat or, or that they could have been doing it this whole time. And when you add in the pedophile angle, when we get to the end and the the derning character keeps going on about it, it's been her this whole time, that she's the one who's doing this that adds a nice level or layer to it of, you know, that's why I messed up. And that's why was caused all those problems. And it it could tie back in, again, in a disturbing and interesting way. It doesn't. But for me, it, the <laughs> Scarecrow stuff couldn't be that scary to me because we, like, never see the Scarecrow well, until correct, the very end.
0: But I think that's actually what makes it a, a better mystery than a horror film is that yeah. we really don't know. And there's there's one single head turn that happens at the end, which is the, I think the only way we know for sure that it's not somebody else doing all this killing that it, that, that, because I think that's the only time we see him move. Am I right? Am I remembering that right? That's basically the only time you see him at all, really. Yeah. But I mean, but he's like, even the time where somebody runs into the pitchfork, It it could just be someone has positioned the pitchfork in the scarecrow's hand, but he's not actually, he doesn't actually stab the person actively. It's sort of passively. And, um so yeah until that one little head turn at the very end we're not even sure we it could be the little girl i mean it could be mm-hmm. the crazy little girl and i that's why i mean i think it works i think that's deliberate not showing him although i think it's a mistake because the scarecrow like i said is genuinely creepy and um you know without you can't see the eyes and you can't see the mouth and through the through the hood um that, that, that those are those are great little touches um but well,
2: and the yeah. ending has the potential to be A really potent stinger of now let's play the chasing game of okay is she now gonna sick this if she's like if they build up this notion that maybe she's crazy and maybe you know there's an element a dark element within her is she now gonna sick her friend the scarecrow on the whole town like there's so much potential in that last line but it hasn't been built to and it's more fun to think about maybe that's what they meant but for all we, you know if that's what they meant they needed to do a lot more legwork
1: yeah, it's one of those concepts that probably should get reworked, and someone should do something with. I I have two last comments about the screenplay, and then we can blessedly move on. I think hmm. um, one fatal fatal flaw in the screenplay is that there is absolutely no one to care about. Um, <laughs> you, you know, most there's a reason that most horror films focus on like uh on a series of hapless, largely female protagonists, usually um, who are you know more or less. You know, innocent one way or another. Then we need to figure out if they survive the thing. Here, it's just we have Charles Derning who's just sweaty and awful, and deserves to die, and then does. Um, there's no, there's no real stakes to get invested in. Uh, other thing is that this completely innocent guy gets murdered, and uh, because ostensibly because the townspeople think uh, that he is potentially evil and is harming children, um, and then uh, he comes back as a murderous spirit. Which kind of inadvertently makes it seem like killing him was a good idea.
2: <laughs> well, and then and, and on top of that is the notion that he's mentally challenged and uh, and so all of the ways that the people are taunted and then killed are labyrinthine. And they are far beyond who he was as but who Bubba was when he was alive.
1: Exactly. So it kind of makes it seem like he did have this like evil, this evil genius lurking well, underneath, which is weird.
2: For me, it doesn't seem like that at all. It just seems like it's not him at all. It's like this larger force. Or like, and so when it's supposed to be him at the end, when you know she goes, "Oh, Bubba, you know, then I, mean, I the flower, yeah, yeah. Then it just that was disconnected because it was, for me, because it was like he was freed of the shackles of the body he had been born into, and so he could be more cunning and more, uh, more scheming in his revenge. But then we're also supposed to think that he's still the same flower giving Bubba, you know, I'm putting we're putting them (laughs) on it than they did. This
1: was written in less time than it took us to discuss it just now.
0: I honestly do believe it's just supposed to be that he just wants to kill the guys that put bullets in him. And that's it. Like, that's the only. Negative part of him. I mean, that's the only sort of sinister part of him is just getting that revenge and then just and then just playing with the girl after that, so yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a it's an interest I mean it's cer- it's certainly not a single idea is, is left un- unfinished, but uh, or, or uh, nothing nothing here has been thought out thoroughly uh, that thoroughly but uh, yeah there's there, there's there's I, I don't get why it's so highly regarded, but I do get why it had why some people may have paid attention to it at the time. I think it was probably in line with a lot of the horror that was going on, even in films at the time.
2: Well, let's let's move on to our next uh, film for this TV movie for this segment, and that's The Night Stalker, the made-for-television movie from 1972 that then spawned the one-season series, uh, Kolchak: The Night Stalker. And this is one that I, you know, I've heard. Mentioned before, I know. I know what it, you know. We've written. There have been articles that have gone up at Sound On Sight about the series, and um, and I'm I'm very familiar with just the the Darren McGavin in the white suit with the cross and everything like that iconography. Um, but in contrast, I don't know if this is well regarded because I can't think of anyone ever talking about it, at least amongst my TV circles. And I I had so much fun with this. It was a blast.
0: This this is absolutely it has always been regarded as like the X-Files would not have existed without this show being on, even it was only on a single season. And in fact, when Darren McGavin guest, guested on the X-Files one time, he didn't play Kolchak, but he played a guy who basically that was called, he was the sort of the guy that started the X-Files project and they called him the father of the X-Files and the show. <laughs> so the the, the, the legacy is very clearly delineated. It's, it's it's you know i mean and, and it's weird that it took that long for anyone to sort of pick up on that again it was way ahead of its time uh and and actually the series uh the, the movie takes place in las vegas the series takes place in chicago so uh that added kind of a fun layer when i first saw it uh but i actually it's been a long time since i've seen the the two there were two films uh Night of the Stalker and Night of... The Night
2: Strangler other? and the Night... The, the Night, night Stalker and right. the Night Strangler, yeah. Night
0: Strangler was the second one, and which I, I barely remember. But if you buy the DVD, you get both of them on one disc. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I've i always loved this film. And I can't believe it's taken me this long to, to throw it in the mix here. Well,
2: and it's one that... Because Chris Carter has commented on on the connection with, you know, Night Stalker to yeah. to the X-Files, and... From the first scene, it was clear. But then just that was just, it added such a layer of enjoyment for me to this. But I also see such a strong connection to Dragnet as well with the voiceover. And mm-hmm. and, and so it was just it's such an interesting um, it has all these interesting connections for me to other TV. Um, but even just aside from that, it's well paced. It gets in and out. It's like 70 minutes. And uh, we should also mention that it was hugely popular. It, it was, it wow. had like a 53 share, which for I, those who I don't know,
0: 54 share, actually, <laughs>
2: that means of the people who had a TV on that night, 54% of them watched this.
0: It was, it was literally, the. it was literally the most at the time to date. It was the most watched made for television movie ever. And it beat Brian's song, uh, which it yeah. blew it out of the water, actually. Yeah. That was what it supplanted,
2: and yet nobody talks about the TV show. And the show only lasted twenty episodes, one season, and nobody talks about this film. It's just boggling to me. Uh, Simon, were you familiar with The Night Stalker before this? Uh,
1: not at all. And I think this again, we should explain this more. Um, so uh, essentially, uh, the the Kolchak character is a reporter who uh, and. It, and, and not knowing anything about this, uh, for the first 20 minutes, I was like, why are we watching this? I was I was enjoying it, but I was I, I had no concept of how this connected to, to us at all because I figured based on the presentation, you know, we have all these women being uh, stalked and murdered and they, there are some vampiric elements. I was like, but this isn't really going to be a vampire thing <laughs> because that's not the, the mode of presentation at all.
2: That's not the tone at all. Yeah.
1: Right. It's it's very much it's it feels much more Columbo than Dracula, and uh, then it turns out to be not only a, a vampire story but a very, very traditional vampire story uh, to the degree that there are crosses and stakes involved, and uh, it's still got that sort of whip smart dialogue and like you said the narration and uh, and the shooting style that you would expect and the acting style, but with vampires folded in. Um. So I guess my question is: is the is the series also strictly focused on vampires, or does it does it expand to no, like other supernatural? That's why. Yeah, he
0: goes against aliens. He goes against just generic monsters. That's why it's so much the inspiration for the X Files. It, it's all manner of supernatural and otherworldly things that he's investigating. And uh, no, no, it's 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 great. And, and I don't. I don't honestly. A lot of the creative team behind the two the two films did not carry over uh, to the series. So, like, the, this film was written by Richard Matheson, and if I have to explain yeah. who that is, then you probably shouldn't be listening. But, and then Dan Curtis created it, who's the guy who created Dark Shadows. I mean, he, you know, he, that's that's about as powerful a creative force behind a supernatural story as you can get. But that, I think the whole Columbo aspect of it is what makes it, because it starts out like this, Pretty standard issue procedural for the time. I mean, in this, in the early seventies, there were a lot of TV cops on and, 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 uh, so the, all the cops in here are just like right out of the cop handbook. And, um, but it's that, it's, the, it's that meshing of those two styles. Cause I can't imagine that that had ever been done before. And that's probably why it was so fascinating to people at the time to have that super, like, how would the police actually investigate? crimes like this and how long would it take them to really finally cave in and admit to what they were going up against here. Um And it helps that the vampires kind of kick ass. Like he's a great, I don't know who that actor is, but he, I mean, I know who it is, but I've never seen him before. Uh And he's, he's a pretty awesome vampire. He, he's super strong and he, you know, he takes bullets and doesn't go down and it just, he's kind of creepy looking. He's really creepy looking and, Um, He kind of dresses like a mortician more than Count Dracula, but uh, but he does have red lining inside his jacket, which I appreciated. Um, No, it's just so it's so it's such a strong telling of a story like this.
2: But the progression really holds your hand through it. I I was again, this is I was watching this with my sister and uh, I was asking her, do you think that they sold this like in the commercials? Because it, you know. It's, it isn't like it got that rating plus five on DVR in the seventies, so people all tuned in to watch it. Do you think they sold it as just another crime thing, or did they? Do you think they sold it as a horror movie? Because so, like you're saying, Simon, so much of the beginning just feels like a straightforward procedural or, or like a, a noir influenced kind of uh, cop story, and then t- to go so so gently from this is some crazy serial killer who thinks he's a vampire to Oh, shit, no, it's really, it is, a straight up, is a vampire. The, the self-awareness of that character, of the of the Kolchak character, such a fun performance from Darren McGavin. Um, really sells a lot of it. The, the setting of Vegas and what, co- you know, these associations we have to, like, Chinatown and, and other um, stories of, you know, police cover-ups or that sort of, you know, crime going on in Vegas adds on top of that, especially with the level of um, the cover-up that we get from the cops through it but uh but no i i can see very clearly in that um in that kolchak character he's very much an antecedent for fox Mulder. i mean because i was expecting this the notion of okay well these working cases and there's different things out there but that idea of the truth is out there and with the voiceover narration and uh, approach with the kolchak character is one thing but just the type of uh like witty banter back and forth that, that we get between some of these different characters with Kolchak, it's just a really fun character. It's a fun place to set it. And, I mean, Vegas is up all night, so that makes sense for a vampire story. But it's also super bright during the day. So when when you have the climax at the end, it just, I just think the whole thing works really well.
0: Oh, well, I, I mean, you were talking about old-school Vegas. I just love looking at... I mean, so many of those buildings aren't even there anymore. And I, that's why I, I love seeing... The setting is great. The, um, in particular, I want to focus on that those last uh, the last twenty minutes or so. There's two things going on: Kolchek finally confronting the vampire, him creeping through the vampire's house, is genuinely terrifying stuff. I mean, especially for TV at the time, it must have been just god awful. I mean, just it was it was really got to me. And then. The I mean Richard Matheson also wrote a lot of Twilight Zone episodes, and the ending with the cops double-crossing him, basically about telling the story, um, really just leaves a horrible taste in your mouth. I mean, it, in a good way, it, it's a really uh, believable uh, ending, I guess, in the in the context of the story at least, and and it's a great like sort of Twilight Zony ending where. Uh But then, you know, he, you know, he, he finds a way around it, I guess, with this storytelling thing. But, um, no, I, I, I this has just always been, and then, and the actor, the, the, there's like movie actors. And I mean, Carol Lindley, who plays Kolchak's girlfriend, I mean, she's, she was in a lot of really great films at that time. I don't, um, I do remember, I don't know if you ever saw, like, uh, Bunny Lake is Missing or, uh, she was in the Poseidon Adventure. She was in a movie, a great movie called Cardinal. Um. I, she kind of vanished a little bit after the, the 70s, but she's great. Claude Aikens is great as a sheriff. Uh, whoever the actor is that plays... Oh, and, and then, um, I can't think of his name, but the guy who plays the coroner, isn't mm-hmm. Frank Burns from MASH? Isn't that him? Um Yeah, yeah, yeah his name I'm blanking on. But uh, just, I don't know. I just I, It's like an above-average cast, I think, for uh, even a made-for-TV movie.
1: The, the thing that really that I most enjoyed about it, I think is it almost seemed like, seemed like math Matheson was saying, okay, so there you've got one. you don't have a vampire outbreak. You got one vampire uh, in the, in the real world or in the sort of hard boiled detective type world. What would that look like if you just had one of them? What, how, how might they behave and how might people react to that? Um, and it seems like the, the world was sort of built around that idea. Um, I mean that that combined with this uh, sort of uh, Kolchak character, who um, I don't know if he created or not, um, but you know, so starting from there, it's like, okay, well, if it was real, obviously um, the cops wouldn't be rushing out to say, "Hey, we've got a vampire," so maybe uh, maybe we should treat it like a vampire. Um, it kind of makes sense that you'd need to have this outsider figure to clarify that uh, at you know to to the to the powers that be, and that. And the cynical ending makes perfect sense on a practical level, uh, in terms of, you know, they managed to contain the situation with his help. And then why would they, why on earth would they honor their bargain? It makes no sense for them to do that.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and again, the, for, it comes for me, so much of this comes back to that, um, that noir, uh, distrust uh, or lack of trust for institutions and, uh, I mean this. This is a guy. It just he feels very much in in that vein of the hard boiled uh, detective or, or 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 PI. And um, the the ending it sets it up so well. I haven't seen. I'm gonna need to seek out the Night Strangler because um, I, I I didn't sit down to watch that one. But I'm really looking forward to catching up with the series because I don't know if this if they can maintain this you know on a weekly basis in the their series. I don't know how good of a job they do in that, but. The setup, the, you know, like this is really an excellent setup for something like a supernatural or these other, you know, um, the Incredible Hulk, where it's like going town to town, finding these mysteries. People won't believe him and the people who do believe him won't necessarily help him. Um It's just it's a really smart and effective setup for a show. And I'm looking forward to to marathoning Kolchak before mm-hmm. the X-Files starts back up again in January.
0: Yeah. I, I want to just talk about the vampire again uh, because the first time we really see him or see his eyes or that, that the big bloodshot eyes there's a shot that is right out of like the, the, the guy playing Dracula at that period in history was Christopher Lee. And that those big bloodshot eyes is taken right out of the Christopher Lee version of Dracula. I mean, he made many, many Dracula movies uh, with hammer films at the time and, and, and right around then there was kind of a right around that early 70s right there was a revival of him doing it uh doing it again but yeah there's a lot taken a lot of elements of that performance and, and individual shots taken right from the christopher lee so they were that, that was like they they were very attuned to they weren't really breaking any new ground other than maybe the clothes but um because honestly i don't know i have to really look into this i don't know if, if that if that long ago, if they had, if anyone had attempted a modern vampire story, um, it was all, they were all period films up to that point. Uh, I may be wrong about that, but I don't think I am. I, I'm trying to think, of like, someone, like a vampire, how would he dress today?
1: When I think about the 70s and vampires, I
0: instantly uh,
1: gravitate towards the Herzog 1979 version of Nosferatu. Right. right. Which, if you've never seen it, to me is, like, possibly better than the original um it's it's like probably the creepiest vampire thing ever uh so it was a good good decade for vampires but yeah not necessarily a time when people were were reinventing the wheel like sort of this was kind of attempting to do
0: yeah i will add that this is probably the first time we've ever seen a vampire vampire at the to this to the point like to date this was probably the first time we ever saw a vampire drive a car
2: or at least a station wagon (laughs) usually they fly right yeah um yeah well we've already gone past our time so we should wrap things up do we have any final thoughts on either dark knight of the scarecrow or the night stalker steve
0: uh night stalker is amazing if you haven't seen it then you haven't done your horror homework
2: and that's all all we need to say about dark knight of the scarecrow okay Uh, simon (laughs) how about you
1: uh I will merely repeat: um, the Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is is a dumb movie. <laughs> I just think it should be said again. <laughs>
2: okay, fair enough. And yeah, I, again, I'm gonna echo you, Steve, and uh, encourage our listeners to to go check out the Night Stalker, available on DVD or on YouTube. Um, <laughs> and again, seventy like seventy two minutes. You're in and out. It's it's great. Go go check it out. It's a lot of fun. Um, I hope we haven't overhyped anyone's expectations, but. It's it's a entertaining hour hour and you know hour and ten hour and fifteen movie and and if any X Files fans who haven't seen this you will be happy that you checked it out go check it out um thank you again so much Steve for coming on the podcast uh, of we always love when you can come on where can our listeners find you and your work online
0: uh, on ain'titcool dot com
2: and uh, thank you again Steve thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.